Jack, Levi. The Book Club from Hell. Hello everyone, this is Jack with The Book Club from Hell, and I'm the spirit of an interstellar druid who has become trapped in the body of an Australian human during a freak remote viewing accident. My soul is in torment within this prison of flesh. Please help me. I am in indescribable agony. How did humans evolve? Alright, I've given you about a second. Now, hold that answer in your mind and see if it's the same as what actually happened. Humans arose from apes who discovered that eating the brains of other apes made them horny and more intelligent. This increased intelligence was heritable, and over thousands of years of crazed brain fueled breeding, we got to where we are now. An unnaturally intelligent, hairless ape cut off from the extrasensory perception that is the gift of every animal except for us. How did I come across these breathtaking truths? By reading Oscar Kiss Myert's opus, The Beginning Was the End. Written in 1968 in a Buddhist monastery in Guangdong Province, China, from its publication in 1971, this book has attracted attention for its wild claims, backed up by Mr. Myert's conversations with a cannibal, meditation, and one night where he ate monkey brains for dinner. This man didn't need to read books. It's a wild ride, albeit one that I wouldn't recommend you take. I hated this book. But, fortunately for all of you children of cannibals, Levi and I have read this groundbreaking tome and are here to present to you all the truths, true and untrue, to be found within. Enjoy. Now, Jack, you're a biologically educated gentleman. Uh, I sent you this book <laughs> with the express... So this book, uh, audience, our... Our book this today is The Beginning Was the End by Oscar Kiss Mayerth. I believe that's how it's pronounced, though I think he was German, so maybe I'm not pronouncing that correctly. I think he was born um, in Hungary, but has but Hungary? wrote in German. So it's, yeah, Merth? I mean, they don't have the Merth? th sound. I don't know how to pronounce his name. Mayerth. Mayerth. Um, I don't know. I apologize. I don't really care. I, I hated this book so much. I don't give a shit so about how the name's pronounced. I specifically... <laughs> chose this book to fuck with jack <laughs> because i've noticed this was jack jack has a um this was the worst thing we've read <laughs> jack likes biology he's studied quite a bit of it and <laughs> i've noticed there's a running theme whenever something biological comes up in any of our um discussions that can really great can really great jack <laughs> i just thought an entire book of that <laughs> would be hilarious <laughs> i i hate don't worry you can pick one so much next yeah what were your thoughts going in thoughts going in so i'm sorry to say that i'd actually already heard of the beginning was the end the book about monkeys eating each other and getting really intelligent and not being psychic <laughs> anymore Sorry, I just, sorry, people were laughing at you. As the audience, I can't control Settle them. Down. <laughs> I'm just that funny. <laughs> sorry, go on. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd already heard of it, that it was a, a noted pseudoscientific work where some Hungarian-German guy just makes shit up about how humans evolved. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't quite expect you to send it to me. <laughs> this book, look, this book has, has everything that we on this podcast, I don't know if I'd say we love, but that we subject ourselves to. Really racist. That we seek out. A lot of sexism, strongly really pseudoscientific, sexist. 
very wacky. Brings in the woo-woo in a big way. I didn't expect this much woo-woo, but he's got it in there. I don't <laughs> think it was anti-Semitic. So there's, you know, you'll dock points for that. In the game of Book Club from Hell Bingo, you don't check off the, the strongly anti-Semitic square, but he makes for, up for it in other places. Which is surprising because he really could have weaved it in there if he wanted to. Definitely. Well, given, he, given his extended discussion of race, <laughs> yeah, you, you could have gotten in some anti-Semitism here and it, it would have fit in. So you were you already had How a little feel bit about of an inclination it? about what this book was like, but it it surpassed your expectations. <laughs> Great. <laughs> oh, this this was so much worse than I thought it would be. This was I, I would I'd prefer to read several leveler books instead of this again <laughs> or anything else by this man. Yeah, and at the, I was at the end of this book, he as, promises sorry. a series of books. At the end of this oh, book, yeah, he promises a series more of, of more books. Yeah, I had a look at. I think he's he wrote a few more things, but nothing as ambitious as what book. he promised. No, he never wrote another full book. Hey, um, yeah. So this guy apparently he wrote this whilst like in isolation in some like Chinese monastery, like somewhere so like a monastery in <laughs> rural China. <laughs> it just and I don't. Think he has any relevant background? Uh, the the thing that I wrote, I, I read about the background of this, which I I don't know, is this a reputable source? I don't know, it's just some fucking website said <laughs> said that he he got this idea when he was eating like monkey brains in like some a Chinese restaurant or something while he was traveling. And I read like that exact him. thing. That <laughs> yeah, this, his um. In, this lightning in terms strike. Of his sources. It was he talked to a cannibal or someone who knew a cannibal. He ate monkey brains somewhere in Asia, and um, and then he was inspired. He just realized the flaw yeah. in Darwinian evolution. <laughs> it's uh, it's pretty, it's yeah. pretty amazing. So we're not ruining anything by saying because it says on the front cover, um. It says, man came into being through cannibalism. Intelligence can be eaten. Intelligence so, can be eaten. <laughs> so this entire 200 and something page book, 240 page book or whatever, um, is just this cooked fucking dude outlining his theory of why we didn't evolve from ape-like ancestors just by kind of slow natural evolution responding to like whatever mm. <laughs> environmental yeah, factors we ate evolution. intelligence we ate out we ate the intelligence out of each other's brains <laughs> exactly exactly and it's an interesting work because nothing is really justified in it so i'm not saying that the only way to justify an argument is to say cite sources have an extensive bibliography and things like that but Given the concrete claims he keeps making, you would expect at least some sort of reference to say, well, just any sort of work, any body of work that might back up what he says. It doesn't have to be scientific because, as we'll get into, he strongly distrusts the scientific establishment. Capital S scientists as a whole are a group who are not only out to get him, but 
out to mislead the entirety of humanity as to humanity's provenance. But there is, there is no justification for anything that he says in this book. <laughs> He'll make all sorts of concrete it's statements pure and logic, Jack. <laughs> he doesn't need pure, to provide evidence. <laughs> pure logic. And logic to a, a quite a messianic end. At the start of the book, <laughs> he dates his book 3,200 years after Moses, 2,753 years after Lao Tzu, 2,510 years after Buddha, 1,967 years after Christ, and 1,400 years after Muhammad. <laughs> so obviously, he's placing himself in the same line as Moses, Lao Tzu, Gautama, Buddha, Christ, and Muhammad. He obviously values his opinions well, very highly. He starts off strong. I will say this about about Oscar. He's a very confident dumbass. He's he's probably the most confident moron I've ever read. <laughs> uh, he's and actually I'll give him this. He writes well. I'm not sure if actually we must have I don't read know if he does because we don't know. This German. is a translation by some mm. uh, by Ju- Judith Haywood. So she writes well. Okay, well, well she's, I mean, she's translated. Judith Haywood writes well. Maybe presumably sure he wrote a... well enough for her to do this translation well. So yeah, holy shit! Can you imagine? It was bad enough oh, dude, reading this. Can you imagine translating imagine, it? Dude, could this poor woman? This poor woman fucking spent like dozens and dozens of hours of fucking translating this cunt's insane, batshit, insane thoughts, but. The the what's even what might have been worse than the fact that she translated it and spent all this time translating. It. Now her name is forever associated is with this fucking abomination. <laughs> <laughs> Jude, who's Judas Haywood? What was your legacy? I translated the beginning was the end into English. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the true punishment. That's so the punishment he gives a message into English. Oh no. Horrible. So he gives a message at the beginning of the book. He says, man has discovered many things, but not himself. He gave to himself the name Homo sapiens, uh, which means like a uh, man, the wise, doesn't it? Something like that, Jack. Uh, yeah, wise something man. Like that. Uh, the justness of this self-baptism was not endorsed by any competent authority, as if there's an authority for this sort of thing. So know yourselves and the truth concerning your origins, readers. Alter your goals accordingly before it is too late. <laughs> From the Sinsan Monastery, China. <laughs> this, is, this is a warning. I find it so strange. We've read enough of these books now that I feel like I'm starting to see some patterns. Mm. And mm, Yeah. <laughs> yes. And yeah, there's well, there's a number here. I guess touching on the thing that we were saying before about confidence or whatever, he's an incredibly arrogant writer. <laughs> oh fuck yeah, he's he's worse than Terence McKenna in terms of arrogance. He might be the most arrogant we've read. Uh yeah, what was that guy's uh fucking um Robert Anton Wilson? He was pretty bad, but yeah, I think this guy might be no worse. Robert. Okay, I'll give I'm. No, I reckon this guy's more. At least Robert at least Anton, Robert Wilson, Anton was like Wilson self-deprecating. I suppose he was self-deprecating. He was funny, and every now and then, normally granted when it was convenient to his argument, he would leave <laughs> open the possibility that he too was trapped in his own reality tunnel and unable to see outside of it. 
Yes, that was often very self-servingly employed, but <laughs> he would sometimes acknowledge that he too was a fallible yeah. human being and might make mistakes. Whereas Oscar Kiss Meyer, no. n- there, there is no There's inkling no that this man could possibly be wrong. It's like he airtight. This guy thinks he's, he's, he's every argument, he thinks he's airtight. <laughs> and so what, I think this, this guy is master of the straw man. I don't think I've read yeah. someone who, who straw mans his opponents. And, and remember, I have seen Reddit, which is really just a gigantic straw man on the internet. <laughs> is, it this one, man is it one giant straw man or is it a million tiny straw, straw men? This motherfucker. A forest of straw men <laughs> surrounding a gigantic straw man. <laughs> the, the, this I'm guy, surprised that... This guy's in... Go on. No, sorry, go on. <laughs> No, this this guy's entire argumentative apparatus is basically to to make up really dumb arguments and ascribe them to scientists and then disprove them, except disprove them in an even dumber way than the dumb argument he formulated and ascribed to scientists. You know how... Yeah, this is what this guy does. Have you ever been really angry with someone... And you're not with them anymore. Someone's really pissed you off. You've gone home. And in your head, <laughs> first, first, you start going over some argument that you had with them and you're pissed off. Mm. And then you start moving away from the facts. You then start arguing with them in your head, but they're saying things that they never said and you're still arguing with this, this imagined version of them. Have you ever done that or am I just particularly No, no, I'm of perfectly sound mind. I am zen-like. I just have clear mm. head all the time, Jack. I... I have no reference, yeah, yeah. point of reference. <laughs> no, I know what you mean, man. <laughs> yeah. And afterwards, you're yeah, like, yeah, yeah. "Damn, I should have said, <laughs> should have said this thing." Yeah, <laughs> like, that would have. So this entire <laughs> this entire book is 240 pages of this guy <laughs> arguing with capitalist scientists in his own head. Except there was never that point of like where you're getting really pissed off at this person that you're arguing with in your head. There's never that point where you realise oh, I'm I'm being a complete jackass. Like, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go for a walk right or have a run or something just to clear my head. Yeah. This this guy never did that. For the entire duration of writing this book, that moment never came. So he just gets angrier and angrier and angrier at these imagined scientists that he's arguing with that he's never talked to. Yep. That's, he just Jack has summed up the entire fucking book. There's 240 you, pages of him. Listeners, if you want to stop listening, that is basically this entire book. <laughs> but you shouldn't stop listening. You should keep on listening. And the reason why is because no, keep listening. He goes crazy. Like it, it, it's batshit insane. <laughs> yeah, this is so. This that's is one the of the more unhinged overview. things we've read. <laughs> and I was reading this book. You know, at one point, I don't know who. Which book I said it about? I said about. It might have been Antoine Wilson. Or is it another book? It's in one of our episodes. I was like, "Oh, is this the? I think this might be the worst book we've read so far." And you're like, "No, I think you." You said something like, "Yeah, but you say that about every book. It seems as though the most recent book we've read is just the worst book we've read so far." The, <laughs> so the it just, one it's just like a, in memory. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's a proximity delay, like a, a proximity uh, yeah. 
the latest exponential decay function of like how far away we get from the <laughs> the book we can like tolerate yeah. it more but actually if all if we could like run these many universes in parallel and experience all the books mm. simultaneously <laughs> like which book would we really <laughs> think is the worst <laughs> it's hard to say because de- i i really think this is the worst thing we've read but then again say when i was reading varg I absolutely hated it. Evola? Ah, uh, Evola was difficult, but I didn't hate Evola. No, I Robert fucking Anton hated Wilson. It. Actually, I... I got, I, I got sick of Robert Anton Wilson, but I didn't hate it. I acknowledge that it was well written. I really which makes dislike uh, pseudoscience. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I haven't it's read interesting. a huge amount of pseudoscience in my life <laughs> because every mm. time I've been exposed to it, I just get really angry. <laughs> And now yeah, me too. I think it, it probably says it. something bad about me. It says something bad about me that I can read that pseudoscience, particularly pseudoscience as it responds to medical science or evolutionary like theory, it. gets me angrier than when I'm reading some some really toxic anti-Semitism or something just malignantly misogynistic or something like that. Those things get me less angry. Do you think than it's maybe reading pseudoscience? We've um, received, we've been I don't, like, we, well, you know, pretty fortunate to have studied quite a bit of science, and that maybe it's mm. cutting a bit, bit, bit too close to home for us. And it's, you know, like, do we take these things for granted? Did I ever tell you about? I, I dated this girl. I mean, like, I only dated this girl for like two or three dates, um, and. She was, was studying. Dating. She was, yeah. So it's not really dating. Like we saw each other a couple of times, but she was studying. Mm. Um, she was studying alternative medicine, and I was just like, "Man, you." She's pretty good looking, so I just wanted to sleep with her. So I was just like, "Yeah, fuck it, whatever." <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but, but after I dated that, after I, you know. After I stopped seeing that girl, I made a commitment to myself that I would never, ever in my life sleep or date with date someone or sleep with somebody if they were studying alternative medicine because the cost, <laughs> the cost, the, the like cognitive overhead of trying to like suppress my urge to tell tell them what I really think of their education <laughs> was so high it wasn't worth like. See, seeing her <laughs> it wasn't worth seeing her and i remember this uh she was studying like chinese medicine or, alter- or some alternative medicine mm-hmm. and she's trying to explain to me um uh yin and yang no 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 not yin and yang there's some uh it's like the the life force there's some term they fucking use for it um mm. like oh there's this life force that runs through everyone and when you do like i don't know acupuncture or pressure points you're like channeling oh the chi <laughs> you're channeling the chi yeah, to like yeah. get the body to heal itself and all this stuff and i'm like okay but like what is chi she's like it's energy and i'm just thinking well you clearly don't mean it's like ATP to ADP, do you? Like, that's not what you're doing. You're talking about the conservation of energy. You're talking about something else. So what do you mean? I don't understand what you yeah. mean. And we were standing on this hill, like, looking at the city at Melbourne. And it was, like, in the summer. And some bats flew over the top of us. And, you know, it's, like, beautiful orange sunset city and bats mm-hmm. flying over. It's, like, very romantic. And then she spoils it. <laughs> she goes, she goes, she looks at the bats and she looks at me and she goes, see? Chi. <laughs> that's, that, 
That's the chi. It's the fucking bats. <laughs> the bats are the chi. I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> I was like, I can't deal with this. Okay, it's not worth. It's not worth dealing with this person. <laughs> no. Fortunately for us, yeah. though, this this book that you chose, and I blame you for this. Not only does it have all of that woo woo pseudoscience, but he blends it with saying like. Oh, Papua New Guineans and Australian Aboriginals are just less evolved and have much smaller brains than everyone else. <laughs> yeah, less than thirteen hundred. Women, women, <laughs> women are just much stupider than men because of the. But he's not sexist. Monkey brain eating hypothesis of evolution. Women naturally yeah, have exactly. smaller it's brains. Natural. They haven't had to consume human brains, so that's just their place. Mm. They're just like you can't hate a woman for being a woman, <laughs> you know. And we shouldn't. We shouldn't. What was his argument? He was saying like we shouldn't expect them to be as smart as men and use education to try to train them, train them to be as smart as men. And then he's like, it's like trying to get an abor- uh, 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 an Indonesian abor- or like a Timorese Aboriginal person to be as smart mm. as a Chinese person purely through using education. Yeah. If those people through haven't education. been consuming brains for the last hundred thousand years, how are they supposed to catch up? <laughs> Yeah, he's got this thing where he talks about, oh, yeah, so you have plenty of, say, people of Western European descent or Han Chinese descent whose brains are between 1,200 and 1,400 cubic centimetres. And, of course, no one from, say, East Timor has a brain that big. And with things like this, this will be a very common theme. These are things that you can actually check for verify. yourself. Like <laughs> yeah, verify. And he's just not right. <laughs> It's just not true. There's so many things. I took an attitude of like, I'm not going to fact check anything this guy says. I'm just going to, I'm just going to assume it's all false. <laughs> um, and just, but even just things I, I could just see this on the surface of them. He'd just say like, X is the case. I'm just like, no, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> Anyways, should we, should we get into it? Yeah. Um, maybe I'll quickly say what the, the chapters are and that'll, that can be our kind of guidance for the episode. And then listeners. Chapter 7 is <laughs> a special one. We'll, we'll unpack all the chapters. Yeah, it's so good. Um, so the chapters are The Newcomer Without Memory, i.e. humans. <laughs> the Collapse of a Theory, i.e. Darwinian Evolution. Uh, the Empty Skulls. Chapter 4 is The Great Changes. Chapter 5 is The Damaged Brain. Chapter 6 is Speech. Chapter 6 is where he really starts to jump the fucking shark. <laughs> chapter 7, The Origin of Races. Jack's favourite Jack's favorite chapter. <laughs> chapter 8, Genesis, where he starts getting messianic. And Chapter 9, The Immediate Future, where he gives us prescriptions about what to do as young people who are going to live at least 70 years. And, and promises a large number of sequels to the beginning <laughs> with the a end. A large number of sequels, yeah. So that's uh, what we're going to be talking about. Uh, should, we, should we jump into Chapter 1, Jack? <laughs> Yeah, how about I open this up with a quote. The road from ape to man was made up of a chain of criminal acts contrary to the laws of nature. Man has become the lunatic genius of the universe whose diseased mind with its absurd objectives is necessarily and inevitably becoming his doom. He's got this idea. So he says human beings... And remember, he's not, he's not qualifying this by saying, okay, well, from the perspective of someone from Europe, this is what people think. No, all human beings think this way. He says all human beings at one stage stood at the top of a pyramid. They'd constructed this pyramid 
in their minds and, and humans stand at the top of it and everything else is below humans. But little by little, discovery by discovery, human beings realised that maybe they didn't belong at the top of this pyramid. They found out that they initially thought that they were the centre of the universe, the centre of the world, but then say they found out that the earth was not flat, but was spherical. And he says there is no centre to a sphere, which is the first of many things that he says which don't make sense. <laughs> I had to do a double take on that. I was like, wait a second, wait, like, did, what, wait, did you, you just say that there's no centre to a sphere? <laughs> I, was, I was like, and I was, wait, uh, hold on, let me, let me like, I, I was so perplexed by him saying that I had to double check that I understood what a sphere was. <laughs> <laughs> it's like no. It's like I, mean, I, I guess if 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 you're wanting some sort of, I'm assuming that he was going like for poetry rather than yeah, being There's very no generous. Center say, okay, to maybe, the surface. Maybe of he a means that. Yes, there isn't. Yeah, no center to the surface of a sphere. Or say humans don't stand at the center of a spherical Earth. But then it, oh no, nah, fuck this guy like. But having read this entire book, I'm not actually sure that he's being poetic. I think he might actually have thought, oh, yeah, that's poetic, a... dude. Yeah. I don't think he's being poetic. Yeah, anyway, so there's no centre to a sphere. Moron. He says... So that's a step down from the top of the pyramid. Humans have already somewhat worked out that they're not the centre of everything because they're not at the centre of a sphere because that doesn't exist. <clears throat> they realise that the sun doesn't revolve around the earth. The earth revolves around the sun. So once again, not everything in the universe is revolving around humanity. Then, then he discovers the descent from human beings from apes. We'll get into his interesting interpretation of evolution, but I'm, I'm standing within his paradigm. Not that we share a common evolutionary ancestor with apes, but that we are directly descended from chimpanzees, orangutans, gorillas, and things like that is what he says. But in, yeah. in finding this out, we take another step down the pyramid. He says of, of humans, now he stands on the lowest step and consoles himself with the remaining scraps of his once splendid conceptions concerning himself and his imagined world. Humans are worrying now about about things as fundamental as do we have souls? Do animals have souls? Is there any difference between us and other animals? Are humans special? And humans are more and more anxious and nervous because humans want to be special and have told themselves that they're special for so long. And yeah, and he does this weird... in a weird way, like he, like he does he. I mean, it's a pretty obvious trend, so it's not like he gets any points mm. for it. <laughs> but yeah, the the story of science over the last few hundred years has been uh, shifting our own perception of our place in the universe and our place amongst yeah. other animals. Sure. So he's he's off to. I was kind of like, okay, like at this point in the book, sure, I'm I'm coming along. <laughs> Coming along, yeah. Like, I, was, I was kind of still curious, like, how is he going to turn this into into cannibalism? <laughs> into cannibalism. <laughs> exactly. I will continue. So, I think almost every episode, or most episodes, and to an increasing extent, I've tried to be almost unreasonably generous to the people whom we've read. Oh, you've been great. So, you've been so magnanimous, Jack. 
At being times, I feel like I've Jack. been talking with the author of these books. <laughs> <laughs> but no. Yes, so he, he, reaching the, deep down and being generous. <laughs> no, being generous, yes. That's, uh, as you said, it's a pretty obvious trend. So I'm not sure how many points he really deserves for it, for observing it. But yes, hum- humans have been dethroned to an extent by science over I'm the past. I'm always cautious of giving these people 150, points. 200 years. <laughs> yeah. But yes. Points but yes, this is, this is an obvious one. So say heliocentrism, yes. Modern evolutionary theory, yes. They, they stand in opposition to the idea that human beings are these incredibly unique creatures in the universe. So I guess we'll give him some points for that. For that uh, true, albeit extremely obvious observation. <laughs> but, but. Yes, anybody who's read Bill Bryson. Yes, the big butt. The big old jiggly butt is going to come and smack him in the face. Yeah. It's um, chapter two. The collapse of a theory is where the wheels really fall off. <laughs> it falls off I mean, pretty quickly. The wheels had already fallen and off. Chapter, chapter one, one is but an extremely short chapter. To torture the analogy, it's the like- car has exploded by chapter two. <laughs> I'm a- chapter three, it's charred wreck gets hit by a meteorite. Do you have anything else to say about chapter one? Chapter one was kind of just lining things up. I, I was, by the end of chapter one, I was kind of thinking like, oh yeah, this will, won't, like, me. Because I think, again, maybe it's not his writing, but at least the translated, like, it, it reads really well. So Yes, that's true. It reads very nicely. So I was like, um, okay, this isn't, this isn't going to be like reading um, some, some of the books that we've read that are also difficult to read because they're just so poorly written. Mm. Whereas this was like, fine. But I, I was, yeah, going into chapter two, I was just thinking like, how does he... To dispute Darwinian evolution, and I, I don't know I was just kind of, kind of curious. <laughs> yeah. So m- much of this book is based upon a fundamentally flawed conception of evolution. No, he confused me. I think he I, just. I, I he got doesn't to myself like, do understand, I understand evolution. I don't know if I do now because yeah, yeah. This guy this just doesn't understand evolution, and he's got this very odd idea of say natural versus unnatural evolution that he never quite explains where he draws that distinction, but he no. draws it. I'm going quite to, vehemently. He just doesn't tell you how he does it. I'm going to beat the shit out of a dead horse, but this is <laughs> primarily for if this is your first episode, hello, welcome. <laughs> this is the book club from hell. Uh you've made it to the 30 minute mark. Well done. Uh but for the listeners who have listened to multiple episodes before, you probably heard me talk about Popper. I'm not gonna rant this time, I promise. But <laughs> but Popper does make the point about people confusing normative and natural laws and this guy is confusing the two like (laughs) he's saying like there's these moral things and they shaped so that you know like 
it's unnatural to eat other humans. So now like nature's punishing us by giving us like all these ailments. And it's just like, uh, no, that's not what we mean by natural selection or <laughs> unnatural. Like it's not, it's not, it's not a normative, it's not a normative statement. <laughs> so that's no. like permeates his entire thinking because he's like we're acting against cosmic order which is really weird it's just like how can how can an animal act like say we're pre-sentient animal or like not pre-sentient say we're sentient but we you know like pre um universal cognitive capacity or whatever you want to call us like if they started eating brains and animals don't have moral valence then how could them eating brains be an immoral act that then got them punished by nature? Mm-hmm. Like, what the fuck is he talking about? Anyways, <laughs> let's uh, get into yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you were saying he's got so, a fundamental misconception about about evolution. So, we'll I'll briefly outline some of the ways in which he mangles evolution by natural selection. Actually, how about I'll start out by explaining basically how it does work because it's the sort of theory that once you understand it it seems almost tautological yeah but nonetheless i've i've i see it misinterpreted quite frequently so the basic going to preface what you say jack just before you jump into it so (laughs) i don't feel as though i understand evolution very well but um jack and i did study biomedicine <laughs> and Jack, Jack studied virology. So uh, like that has a fair bit of stuff about evolutionary science in it. So Jack, Jack actually uh, has, has got some, some underlying understanding of, of this stuff. <laughs> Although within the context of this book, that's a disadvantage because it means I've been brainwashed. <laughs> yeah. You've been indoctrinated. But basically. The, the fundamental idea of evolution by natural selection is that things that persist, persist. So, say, in the case of some sort of animal or an organism, one of the things it exists for is to replicate itself. Say, human beings have children. And we exist in an environment which, in which not everything survives. There are limited resources, there are dangers in the environment, not everything survives. The more capable of surviving something is, the more likely it is to reproduce. And in reproducing, the things that survive pass on the traits that survived. And there's no, there's no say, moral valence here. There's no intentional selection. It's just if something persists, and passes on, in the case of, say, organic life, it's genes, in those genes will be some, some sort of advantage that allowed it to persist. So, okay, so imagine, imagine you've got a group of people, and at, at the other end of a 100-metre racetrack, say, there's just not enough food to feed all of them. And so they, they all run to the end of this 100-metre course, and the ones who get there first are the first ones who are going to get to eat. And so if you just keep doing this, if this is the only way you get food, only the really fast ones are going to live. Because if you're too slow, you're not going to get fed. And there is an element of randomness to this. 
So say, suppose someone is really, really fast, but they trip over and someone slower than them gets the food. That will still over time average out to the ones who are faster will just get more food. And they're the ones who are going to survive and the ones who are going to reproduce. And so their children, the children will be the children of the ones who are faster. And then if you run that for another generation, this really, really bizarre, quite unnatural scenario of doing this 100 metres to get food. If you just keep doing this over Although time... it kind of did happen, didn't it? You're just, you're just going to have the children of the ones who were faster, having children with ones who were faster. And over a long period, those descendants will themselves be faster. And how long does it's it It's not that, say, in, in running this over and over again, an individual organism is going to pass on genes that are faster. Yeah, the, the yeah, other, the other this important guy's... thing to note about it is that, like, it's about the, like, a big part of it is, like, the frequency or the proportion of particular genes in, in a population. So, hmm. uh, like, the genes encode information and then the body expresses that information in the individual organisms, like phenotype, what's called the phenotype. And those genome, like, the genes and the phenotypes, like, appear in different frequencies in a population. And one of the key things is like when populations are separated by like, for whatever reason, like over some geographical region, maybe like birds separate over islands in the, I don't know, like an archipelago, like they're subject to different selective pressures from their environment. And uh, the frequency of different phenotypes in those two populations that are now separated will change over time as the different environments kill off um, unfit uh, individuals in each population. <laughs> so this is like, uh, this is very different. This guy does not seem to, like, he thinks that it's almost like, did you get the impression that he thought it was almost like uh, within the lifetime of like a single organism? It was very Lamarckian. Yeah. Um, so the way that he talks about it seems to be that if an individual animal does a thing a lot, they'll improve at whatever thing they're doing, wait, which is, is true. His, his entire but then he seems to think that you can pass it? <laughs> like you can literally eat, like you're eating the intelligence of, of your forebears. Yeah, this is this is Lamarckian, and then you can pass <laughs> on that eaten intelligence. But he doesn't provide a mechanism for that. But he doesn't provide a mechanism for how. Eating brain changes your gametes such that you can then pass on that increased intelligence as well as all of the other problems with your pituitary gland that he claims. It's almost we as if uh, the way that I, the sense that I got from it is that he thought that like intelligence was like a substance inside the brain, like what the fuck intelligence is, like what he means by intelligence. But apparently, it's some sort of substance that's in your brain, mm. and when you eat the brain, you absorb the intelligence from the brain that you're eating. Exactly. And what he says, to frame this, he says that the last, the last grasping attempt of human beings to stay on this pyramid that they built themselves is to say that human intelligence evolved naturally. And if something is natural in this guy's telling, it's ethically good. Or it's, it's something being natural is a very normative statement. 
and something being unnatural is bad. And so humans, particularly human scientists, say that human intelligence evolved naturally, which is to mean that it is in keeping with the cosmic order, which is to mean that it is good. Whereas this guy says, no, 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 human evolution was unnatural, therefore it's bad. And this is knocking humans off that final step of the pyramid. So much of this book is him looking at different aspects of how he, he thinks that people say that humans evolved and then disagreeing with them. One such thing is a quote I've got here where, where he describes fossil remains of pre-human hominids in East Africa some of whom were using tools and some of whom weren't. He says this, this disproves natural evolution. He says <laughs> of, of these, these finds of some pre-human hominids having used tools and some not. <laughs> I should so preface good. this also by I saying I don't know if this is actually true or not, if these fossil remains were found or not. Anyway, Well, why don't we take says, the attitude of like when he says something like that, we'll just take it as it... Should we just be like, okay, we'll, we'll grant you that claim. Let's see what you do with it. <laughs> yeah. In, in some cases, yes. So he says, This flatly contradicts the theory of natural evolution. For if some natural reason, some breed of ape became, became embarked, a process of development leading towards man, then all members of that breed who lived at the same time in the same geographic place would have to undergo the same process. It is not consistent with natural evolution that a section of the breed should suddenly begin a rocket-like ascent towards human development, become clever and produce tools, while the remaining section living at the same time in the same place remains ape and does no more than look on in astonishment. So, if a group of pre-human hominids started using tools and this provided a survival advantage over their contemporaries who didn't use tools, that's actually perfectly in keeping with I'm not sure what he means totally by natural evolution. When he says natural evolution, my assumption is that evolution but positively balanced. Good evolution, the evolution that he likes. <laughs> I, I highly they started using I, tools sorry. and they got a survival advantage, they'd outcompete non-tool users. And that that'd be totally in keeping with evolution. I'm not sure how that disproves evolution. I think his issue, from what I could pick up, and uh, I, I actually highlighted the immediate next paragraph, so I'll, I'll just say that in a tick. Um, but Continue, yeah. Yeah. I found that he, uh, what he was saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, but he was saying, like, they're, they're in the same group. <laughs> mm. So he was like, they're in the same place at the same time and then some subsection of them started using tools and rocketed off why didn't why didn't all of them mm -hmm. <laughs> go with them like why did yeah. why why don't why aren't chimps and gorillas and bonobos and gibbons and shit <laughs> using yeah. the tools as well um so the next paragraph he says and this is this is a good example of where this person just flatly uh straw mans the shit out of yeah opposing Oh, not the opposing, like, he's opposing this guy. Out of oh, we're going to see an army of straw men here. <laughs> uh, so he says, so after, <clears throat> so the end of the previous place remains ape and does no more than look on with astonishment. Strange to tell, 
The apes, which did not produce tools, disappeared without trace while the others continued to further their development. Did the former die out because they were not clever enough to keep themselves alive? Does that mean you have to become human to avoid extinction? Then how is it that other (laughs) breeds of ape, chimpanzees, gorillas, and orangutans among them have not become extinct? (laughs) (laughs) Mate, fucking... You got me. You got me. <laughs> the sole, the sole criterion for survival is to become human. <laughs> hey, that's actually a good point. There's been a number of people that we've covered on this show who either talk directly about sort of human evolution or whatever or like debate it. I think um, Terrence, uh, Robert Anton Wilson, um, Mm-hmm. Probably a bunch of them, actually. And, yeah, again, this is a recurring theme that Jack and I have actually spoken about before, which is, like, other apes are not, like, it's not, humans aren't the zenith of some, like, target that other animals are trying to become like us. Mm. <laughs> like, like, chimps There's no teleology to this. Yeah, they're not they're not like getting more intelligent to become like Planet of the Apes. Like we're like humans, and now we've got now we've got the mm. planet, and we're the big dick. <laughs> like there's not they're they're just as evolved as we are. <laughs> they they just their yeah. environment selected for a different uh different fitness along different parameters. So like under certain circumstances, it's much better to be a gorilla <laughs> or a chimpanzee uh, in certain environments. It's it's normally better to be a human, <laughs> so long as you've got yeah. your technology. But if uh, if you don't have technology, like humans don't do so well in most environments. So, <laughs> like yeah. other primates are very evolved creatures. <laughs> yeah, for their niche, <laughs> equally, it evolved. just happens fact, that human intelligence is very generalizable. So we can actually adapt ourselves to a far greater variety of niches than other no, animals. Jack, but even better, we adapt our niche to us. We adapt our environment to us. Yeah. Have you ever th- rethought of what is a car? Like people think a car is like a mode of transportation. But in fact, that is not what a car is. A car is a micro environment. We wrap ourselves mm. with like an exoskeleton. Because the car's service as a transportation device is also limited by how much it can protect you from the environment. And really good examples of that is like when you're in harsh environments like, you know, like really like Alaska or something and you've got to drive through. Like humans can't get around Alaska without cars and trucks. <laughs> so, yeah, we, yeah. We, uh, we have the great advantage of actually like modifying the environment around us. So we're pretty cool. But <laughs> I'm a big fan of humans. Um, yes. Anyway, so when he's saying <laughs> my pro do you, does that mean you have to become human to avoid extinction? No, no. because no, it fucking doesn't. <laughs> so I think he. This is something I see quite often, where people ascribe almost an intentionality to evolution. So yeah. with evolution, there's a there's a big element of randomness. So, say a creature has some sort of particular adaptation, like one pre-human hominid so one one animal that existed before the last common ancestor of say human beings Mm. and chimpanzees Mm. say that one was smarter than another another pre-human hominid or say ape that doesn't mean it's necessarily going to survive it might have some sort of adaptation 
that doesn't make it more likely to survive and it'll die out. Suppose one is more mm. intelligent, but it's in an environment which doesn't really reward intelligence. It's going to die out. It's not that there's some, some consciousness selecting for, oh, look, that one's more intelligent. I'm going to make that one live. It's not as if an individual animal is trying to become intelligent because it knows that it's going to evolve into a human being if it does that. <laughs> it just happens that it just happens that its neck to more get to intelligent the leaves, Jack. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It just happens that more intelligent individuals of the species that preceded human beings bred with other members who were also intelligent that eventually led to human intelligence in the same way that, say, human beings are excellent distance runners. And it just happened that in the environment <laughs> where humans evolved, being a very good yeah, distance yeah. runner was actually something that made you more likely to reproduce and survive. It's like, there's it's like not an intentionality to this. Before. Yeah, it's there's like... not an intentionality to this. It's just that the creatures which are more capable of surviving and reproducing are more likely to survive and reproduce. Or the ones that are more likely to survive and reproduce, like their features will increase in proportion in the proportion yeah. of the population. Increase it's in like, frequency. It's like there's two ways of saying the same thing. <laughs> it's actually two ways yeah. of saying the same thing. But also if, so if, the I, thing if, about- if there's any PhD like population biologist or whatever out there that are like listening to us and they're like, Jack and Lou, I don't know what the fuck they're talking about. We apologize. I I personally yeah, haven't studied this in. stuff for a Let long time, but at, at least I uh, I'm I'm pretty sure I understand it more than fucking Oscar does. <laughs> Tell us in the Discord if we're wrong. Yeah, come join the Discord. <laughs> we're having fun. Shout with... out to is it Trent, Trent. and Heilick? Heilick, Trent and Heilick. Yeah, shout out. Yeah, we should put a shout we should out put to a Trent section and at the Heilick. beginning of this episode as like shout outs. Yeah, the fellas <laughs> and uh, and my girlfriend put one message in there. <laughs> uh, if there's any women listening to the show, we hope that we're a uh, welcoming environment for you to join our Discord. But it seems as though so we're only getting comments from presumably men. <laughs> anyway, so this guy's point that why are other breeds of ape so he gives the examples of chimpanzees gorillas and orangutans why have they not become extinct even though he says they don't use tools but tool using pre-human hominids outcompeted non-tool users i would say as levi said these other breeds of ape they just occupy different evolutionary niches it's not that they're less evolved they're just different and they are getting outcompeted, actually. Like, I think almost all of them are endangered. Yeah, we're outcompeting the fuck out of every other species on the yeah. planet except for, like, bacteria. Probably, like, it's probably, like, ants, maybe. <clears throat> Certain species, like those fire ants that are fucking conquering, like, South America and shit. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So he then goes on to somewhat to start hinting at his proposition for how humans evolved. He says that we know that a million years ago, all apes were as intelligent as each other, and the skull capacity of these was 400 to 500 cubic centimetres. But then, the ancestors of modern-day humans, their skull capacity just took off, just went through the roof. And he said that 
Other surviving apes followed the natural evolution of skull capacity only increasing by about 5% in the past million years. Whereas humans, the, the path from a million years ago, dumbass apes following natural evolution to humans, their skull capacity went from 400 to 500 cubic centimetres to about 1,400 in a million years. And in this man's telling, that's unnatural because it's fast. Yeah, so here we'll touch on, and this will be a repeating theme of the book. So I suppose we could just sort of like discuss it now. Uh, mm. He equates uh, neural capacity, or like uh, cranial capacity, sorry, with intelligence. It's not like entirely, it's not entirely that simple. Like there's, I believe certain species of dolphins like have larger brains than us. At, well, at least they have like, more uh convolution they're more gray matter <laughs> cortical gray matter uh yeah so there's this like question like what is cortical gray matter like the thing that leads to more intelligence or whatever is like how can that be so if these other species like have more cortical gray matter or like more cranial capacity than humans like humans definitely have one of like the highest <laughs> um but it, it's not that it's not like quite that simple um no so and he also he also talks about he seems to think that if a brain is just larger in absolute terms, then, then an animal is more intelligent. In which case, the obvious question would be, well, why aren't, say, blue whales the most intelligent species on the planet? Given that their brains yeah, are probably larger than a human being, why aren't they, yeah. why aren't they gifted of godlike intelligence as compared <laughs> to human beings? Well, according to... Uh, according to um, uh, Ilana Selka... <laughs> Ilan is selkie. They do have, they are more intelligent than humans. They have an inter, they have yeah, a planetary yeah. communication signal that they've had for millions of years, and they didn't need evolution to talk to each other across the face of the planet. So <laughs> there you go, Jack. There we go. We've got the synthesis of Selka and Maya. But I, I had a really interesting thought because I've been studying, um, uh, you, you know, as listeners, long-time listeners of this uh, podcast, when I, I really like David Deutsch. And um, I uh, am studying a uh, uh, theory of computation at the moment at university, uh, which is very good. And uh, I have realized that, like, how do I put this? Like, like computational universality is kind of like a zero or one event. <laughs> it's, there isn't, like, uh, there isn't, uh, like, a gradient. It's, like, once you achieve computational equivalence with a Turing machine, which the human mind, the human brain contains it. I like in my studies, this was not raised. So I think this might be like something really worth looking into, but like th there must be some part of the human brain that uh, has the correct electrical structure um, to run a Turing machine, to run, a, uh, to run basically a machine that's equivalent to a mach Turing machine, in which case it's universally mm -hmm. equivalent to all other Turing machines. And that is like the part of the human brain that gives us our ability to like do general problem solving. My suspicion mm -hmm. is that it would be in like the prefrontal cortex somewhere, obviously, which means that like, you know, for a whale, most of their brain is probably just being used for like coordination of like their body, essentially. Um, and like in humans, like large parts of our brain are just for like image processing and, you know, mm -hmm. like doing 
controlling the body's movements and stuff. But there only needs to be like one part of the hemisphere of like the brain that has achieved universal computability. <laughs> and yeah, that's what happened at some point. And once that happens, that's it. It's like game over. We've got a human <laughs> and it can, it can start like yeah. thinking any thoughts outside of just the limited predefined thoughts that were encoded into its genome. It's almost like this idea of signal transduction, how you can take a signal from one source and turn it into another sort of signal. So mm. we, can, we can transduce signals that are intelligible to us. So say, say yeah. a more trivial example would be, say, human beings can't see infrared. We can't see that spectrum of light. However, mm. using, using tools, we can signal transduce that and then say represent it in natural light so say yeah night vision represent it say if, if you're looking a form at that heat. we can perceive yeah yeah you can represent it in natural light similarly mm. we can take concepts that human beings don't intuitively understand like say quantum field theory humans just don't intuitively understand that because it's so far outside of no, our it's not everyday intuition. experience <laughs> but using using tools that we've made mental tools like mathematics and modern physics, yeah. we can actually transduce that into a language that humans can understand and then use it to manipulate those things and build more tools <laughs> using that. So, yeah, it's, it's, that, it's not about, say, how large a brain is or the amount of cortical folding or something like that. There's some, there's some part of the brain or some emergent property of all the different parts of the brain interacting that gives it this Turing completeness that then allows you to transduce signals that you wouldn't be able to understand using mental tools you've devised to make them intelligible, which gives humans this yeah. crazy sort of flexible intelligence. Anyway, that was a... Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. That was a... And... Yeah. No, it's super interesting. It's much more interesting than the book. So uh, I, I guess this gets yeah. to the point that one, okay, so one, this is not an area that Jack and I are experts at. This is just something that, like we like to talk about. It's interesting. But two, like this is not well understood. Like if you ask me based on my understanding of computer science and neuroscience, I actually think that we're a long way away from, <laughs> from understanding this stuff. And even in a modern context, we don't really like even if you listen to somebody like Yosh Joshua Bach, the the alien man who's just like mega intelligent, like <laughs> he brings up a lot of cutting edge ideas about this stuff. And like lots of people still don't disagree. I mean, still don't agree with mm -hmm. like how exactly should we conceive these things? Um <clears throat> and to think that this cunt, Oscar, <laughs> knew what the fuck that he was talking about question. fifty years ago. Answer like answered answered this groundbreaking question. Ah, oh, I just I was just like, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> There's no way this guy knows what he's talking about. <laughs> How about some more problems with evolution? So he he sets up more straw men <laughs> that scientists say and then burns them down. So he says, for example, throws thermite. He on claims them. he says that the commonly accepted theory of human evolution designed to keep humans on this pyramid and keep them within the natural order 
one such claim of this theory is that human that standing on two legs is intimately connected with intelligence. He says that scientists say that standing on two legs, having no fur coat, and using ha- your hands, those things are intimately linked to intelligence, which they're not. You, like, I don't know, it's, suppose someone doesn't have hands. Like, they are as intelligent as someone with hands, they just don't have hands. Suppose someone, say, is in a wheelchair and can't stand up. They are as intelligent as someone not in a wheelchair. It's these, these things aren't related to intelligence, but he insists that scientists are saying that they are, and then he gleefully disagrees with these obviously dumb statements that he's ascribing to capital S scientists. So in terms of standing up, um, he says, oh, so he says standing up would only be a survival advantage for, say, hunting on the African savannah if you had grasses that grew exactly to human eye height. (laughs) Because if they grew above eye height, then standing up wouldn't make any difference because you still couldn't see prey or predators. If it were below eye height, then why would you need to stand up above it? QED. (laughs) there was no evolutionary pressure for standing on two legs similarly and also why didn't the other monkeys why didn't the why didn't the other monkeys start running around the grassland as well jack huh exactly chimps gorillas they're still in the forest fucking grassland man why aren't they up here running fucking building ferraris and exactly he says (laughs) with us If the forest disappeared because of the climate, then it did not disappear only for those apes which were later to become man, but for all the others too. But then all apes, chimpanzees, gorillas and orangutans would find themselves on grassy plains. So what he's saying is, if, if say, hum, pre-human hominids lived in forests, climate change happened, those forests became grassy plains, why didn't every single creature living there start standing on two legs? <laughs> Why didn't all of them? In fact, if but but here's the thing, right? Like, okay. So he goes on to say, "There's so many fucking things wrong with this. It's ridiculous. There should there should be no forests at all because the 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 most obvious thing to do would be for these these apes to retreat with the forests to stay in the forests. To which I would say, yes." Some of them did because there are still apes which live in forests. <laughs> like he's he's like just the describing what mate. happened. <laughs> but the, yeah. the, the, <laughs> all of those. <laughs> One of the things that I was thinking about was like, why are you honing, like why didn't you choose? Uh, what's that word? Is it brachiation? Is that brachiation? Mm, yeah, yeah. Uh, Especially a boreal locomotion. Yeah, that's right. The way that monkeys swing through the trees. Like, you know, like maybe our ancestors, presumably, if we were uh, forest-dwelling apes at some point, our ancestors were brachiating apes um, or pre-ape things. Why, like, if you just take his thinking but just asked it as if a chimp was asking it and the chimp was like, well, why, why aren't these humans, like, brachiating like us <laughs> like he's picked intelligence because mm. it's like an outstanding like feature of humans <laughs> but yeah it's as if intelligence is like the thing that evolution should optimize for 
But why didn't he ask the same yeah, it's question? The teleological or end, brachiation, or being able to digest bamboo or something. <laughs> like yeah, those yeah, exactly. those are perfectly suitable for many apes in their environment to have uh, to be able to do those things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But we don't fixate. He hasn't fixated on those other things that those other apes are doing. <laughs> yeah. He's, so this is my theory. My theory is that when he was younger, a handsome scientist stole his girlfriend. Oh, yeah. And that has motivated <laughs> his intense hatred of science. Whenever he talks about how much he hates scientists, what he's really imagining is this one scientist, this hairless, well-spoken, intelligent scientist who took his girlfriend from him and as we go through the book, I, I will provide more pieces of evidence for my girlfriend theft theory of Oscar <laughs> Kiss Meyer's evolution. Oh, I've still got Discord open. <laughs> Whoops. So uh, did it another thing. Reply? So he disputes that that standing up on hey, two legs. Is Jack, somebody just arrived in the Discord. <laughs> Yo, excellent. Get in it. Read out their name and give them a shout out. <laughs> His name is Keon, and he just goes, gang, gang. <laughs> <laughs> That's the sort of in-depth discourse that we at Book Club from Hell strongly endorse. He also disputes that, that being manually dexterous is intrinsically linked to intelligence and is a natural part of human evolution. He says... In spite of these completely free and dexterous hands, not a single breed of ape has been stimulated in the course of the previous 20 million years to produce even the most primitive tool. So if free hands were supposed to cause cleverness and lead to tool production, why did this possibility lie dormant in all breeds of ape for 20 million years? And why is it still dormant in present-day great apes, even though they have free hands? So again, it's having free. I agree with him. Having free hands doesn't make you intelligent, and it's it's not a necessary precondition for intelligence. Uh, being generous, um, what was the intellectual climate like back in the seventies? So this is published in seventy two, right? Something like that. Seventy four. Uh, uh, yeah, something like that. And and uh, so it's like fifty years ago. And there are a lot of open questions. There, there still are a lot of open questions. In fact, if we're at the beginning of infinity, there's shitloads of open questions, and there always will be. And <clears throat> but the open questions that he was, he, people in his time were dealing with fifty years ago were different. And maybe they were really still thinking like, okay, what causes intelligence? Is it? And maybe they're just a bunch of people putting out ideas. I imagine, as people do, mm -hmm. saying like. Oh, well, what are other distinct things about humans? Like we're, we're very dexterous and we've got fine-grained control over things with our hands yeah. that enables us to do things like writing, tool creation and manipulation. Uh, maybe it's our like central binocular vision or something. And like maybe there's just a lot of ideas floating around about like, well, are these things, did they come along with the ride or, or did they... Did, were they like coincidental? Could could you have another species like like I don't know like an octopus-like species like so, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> some some HP Lovecraftian, which is shit, really interesting because you know, it's just a totally different know, form of intelligence, cephalopod intelligence. It could be it could be that like an octopus 
it's got enough fine motor dexterous dexterity and motor control to like do some interesting stuff. Maybe an octopus species could like hit that universality of intelligence, right? And it's not the fact that we have these other particular sets of uh, features. And so maybe he was responding to some mm-hmm. of these other things that were in the in the scientific zeitgeist, potentially. Maybe, but he still fucked it up. So, for example, <laughs> there are examples of tool use. Like chimpanzees do use tools. They're very now, primitive do they tools copy in re- in comparison to us? But he says, why did they not produce even the most primitive tool? So. He's yeah. making a very concrete statement, and his threshold like is making any tool, no matter how primitive. And chimpanzees yes. do do that. For example, they get straight sticks and bend them in such a way that they can put them. I think they put them into ant hills and pull out ants and eat them, or termite yeah, yeah, mounds. Yeah, I've seen it. I love it. I love yeah, watching so they, monkeys. And they do use that. tools, <laughs> and this I, is a very I've very seen common theme with this tool book, where he'll in- make he'll make a very concrete statement that you can actually just say no, this is factually false. It's incorrect. I've seen one. Hence, tool, my favorite tool use that I've seen amongst a primate is seeing those lemurs licking, licking, uh, like uh, they lick centipedes <laughs> to get high. Does that count as a tool? <laughs> They're using the centipede as a tool to I get guess high. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's wrong. And then he says, so he says, oh, why do these creatures have free hands, but they're not using tools, to which you say, well, they are using tools. Then why have they not become more intelligent if they have hands? To which I would say having hands is not a, necess- is, is not a necessary or sufficient precondition for the development of further intelligence or of general intelligence. So it, that just doesn't work. It just doesn't work at all. It's just not... He's tried strawmanning scientists, but has ended up just not making any sense in his response to the really absurd claim he ascribes to, to, he ascribes to scientists. So this sounds like a good point to pause, Jack. How, what do mm. you reckon? I should have dinner now before it gets too much later. So where were we? Where were we? We were definitely <laughs> complaining about... <laughs> we're complaining about something. about something in this fucking. I think book. we were we were complaining about how he's been he's been lining up these arguments made by straw man scientists and knocking those theories down the wrong headed scientific theories about how humans naturally evolved from chimpanzees or something rather than unnaturally evolved. We've talked about how he says that. Scientists say that standing on two legs was because humans evolved in grassland and how standing on two legs and using hands was a necessary precondition for intelligence. But there's so many levels of, like, so many heights in the grass. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and unless the, the height of the grass were perfectly at the eye level of a human of standard height, then that obviously makes absolutely no sense at all and humans couldn't possibly have evolved naturally. Didn't you humans used to be like shorter, quite a bit shorter? I think so. That's probably in part and due like, to nutrition. Because we, <clears throat> we have like higher, like better nutritional diets, like in the last few hundred years, people are taller. Yeah. 
So you need grass grasslands that are uh, suitable for the standard height of a nutritionally deficient <laughs> proto-human. Exactly. He also, he really likes fur coats and doesn't like hairlessness. So my theory about how a scientist stole his girlfriend, I imagine this scientist didn't have much body hair. Like, uh, are you imagining like a Lex Luthor type? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just cue ball head scientist. So, Comes and steals his girlfriend, talks about how he's the alpha male, and this is human evolution. Yeah. Well, Oscar. Maybe, maybe it was uh, Bronze Age's dad or something. Uh, yeah, yeah. An, an aesthetic, hairless man. Oscar says that. <laughs> so, to find the truth of human origins, we need to look at the differences between humans and apes rather than the similarities. He says that scientists obsess over the similarities between humans and apes, but. We've got to look at the differences. No one before has thought of doing this, but he's narrowed, he's <laughs> yeah, narrowed down the differences between humans and apes. And I still, I think he really seems to think that you had chimpanzees and those turned into humans rather than chimpanzees and humans sharing a kind I think that's exactly what he thinks. I think that's anyway, exactly so what he fucking thinks, mate. The differences are <laughs> chimps have a fur coat. Humans are able to copulate at any time rather than there being female-specific or, say, sex signs that females demonstrate, say, once a month. Intelligence, so humans are more intelligent. And of these, first of all, he starts complaining about fur coats. So he's a big fan of fur coats. He says these are so much better than any Oh, he says a lot. He makes a lot of outrageous claims about the pros of... Fur coats. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he says tight, constricting clothing reduces one's ability to think to an undreamt of degree and gives rise to unwelcome states of mind and to irritability, impatience, and aggressiveness. Anyone wearing tight shoes is aware of this. So apes <clears throat> lost their fur coat. And why did this happen? Because clearly a fur coat is so much better than not having a fur coat. Because a fur coat regulates your body temperature and your body's water content. Without a fur coat, you lose all of your heat and die immediately. Lose all the moisture in your body and die immediately, unless you wear clothes. Additionally... And it protects you from the sun. Yeah, it protects you from the sun. <laughs> it adjusts to the size of your body. So body, your fur coat <laughs> is adaptive. will change length depending on how large you are, whereas clothes can't do that, can they? Like the most advanced pair of yoga yeah. pants ever. provides camouflage. To the size of your butt. I mean, I don't know what, and it's I don't know what the fur coats of people living in Northern Europe when it snows looked like, but they must have been white. Amazing. White. Pearly yeah, white. he had this bit where I don't. I can't, where's the quote from? I, I somewhere it's in the same section. But he said, "Any," he was like, basically saying, and I think he says it somewhere else in the book as well. Like, yeah, apes are clean. <laughs> apes are real yeah, clean. Yeah. And he said, cool. "Any ape living in freedom will always be found to be, uh, to bear an exceptionally clean, healthy." And odorless mm. <laughs> skin, although he never has to bath. Whereas humans, 
humans, stinky humans. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have we don't have a natural fur coat. We need to bathe. Yeah. <laughs> and in in a later part of the book, I'll, I'll just mention it now because on theme, <clears throat> he also talks about like underarm oh, hair, and he hates <laughs> and like how humans have like wacky underarm hair. And we and again, just another example of us being stinky. Yeah. <laughs> Needing antiperspirant stuff. Whereas apes, apes. They smell fine. They're perfectly clean. The, the, his argument was like the dirt uh, on their skin uh, gets wet from sweat mm. or whatever and then goes up into the fur and then when they dry out, it turns to dust and it blows away. Yeah. <laughs> and dear listener, we will get to the brain like, eating. This guy. We'll get to the brain eating. But what we're doing, we're collecting a group of what... What scientists, capital S scientists, refer to as progress or adaptations, but what are in truth maladaptive? We are collecting a series of maladaptations. Deficiencies. To, to build tension, to build narrative tension, to get you excited for the grand reveal, because he has a unified theory explaining why we have all of these deficiencies. You will find out shortly. But yeah, back to, back yeah. to the fur coat. Stinky yeah. humans. Stinky humans. Well, the reason why we have pubic hair and underarm hair, but are otherwise hairless, besides, say, the hair on our heads, and if you're a man, the hair you grow out of your face, I think it was something like, so sweat collects in your armpits and your groin, and it sits there and rots in humans without a fur coat. The sweat itself rots and causes painful sores, but you have this underarm hair to wick away the sweat. That's why it appeared. Yeah, what the Fine, fuck? Whatever. I don't know and why. We this is where he hair, starts but... using. Well, I don't know. I love it. Presumably, it's for a good reason. Presumably, <laughs> to stop <laughs> sweat rotting and causing painful sores. He also started using this word, I think, in this section. <clears throat> we should have like, we should start doing a favorite word. Mm. Like, what's the favorite word of this author? Or like, what word did we yeah. learn from this author? This guy Zeke. loves this word atavistic. Atavistic, yeah. <laughs> atavistic. <laughs> atavistic. Everything's atavistic. This atavistic throwback. So atavistic is like when uh, like an organism displays, say like uh, uh, some some feature from its sort of like ancestral mm. past. So yeah. in the section he talks about like children like in utero they might have a flourishing of like full body fur hair and then like in most babies it goes away before they're born or soon after they're born and you're saying this atavistic Mm -hmm. throwback and in fact there's a condition where this never goes away and it's like this uh pathological condition where these people have like essentially like fur coats sort of yeah (laughs) and it's pretty wild actually it's pretty it's pretty weird i don't know if you have a fur coat I don't know if that's true, true. but is it, I, I, I mean, I'm happy to fact check it, but I, I think that does happen. I think that might've been a part where he's not bullshitting. Yeah. But I, I can double check. Um, but anyways, I'll double check now, but besides that here, he just keeps on using this term. Like I think every every chapter from here on, he'll like call something an atavistic Mm -hmm. throwback. (laughs) Yeah. And In this section, he keeps saying that scientists claim that hairlessness and intelligence are intrinsically linked. He goes so far as to say, in refuting this commonly held scientific... Yeah, it's called Lanugo. Lanugo. That's what it's called. Okay. Interesting. Uh, Enduring fetal development. Uh, Your baby will start to sprout fine body hair called Lanugo around 22 weeks of 
pregnancy and will usually be gone by the time they're born. Yeah. Although some babies are doesn't Interesting. Go so he actually did say something yeah. correct. <laughs> he said something that's not complete fucking But he shit. So in constructing this straw man saying that all scientists claim that a loss of body hair is an intrinsic part of human intelligence, he says, bravely disputing this point, man could be just as clever with a coat of hair as he is naked. I must concur. I, I must agree with that. That <laughs> the presence of a fur coat and intelligence are in fact not correlated. <laughs> one, one actually does not have a bearing on the other one. I will concede this point. So after, does, does after he, complaining, of, am I making this up in my head, or do, does he make some point about like nerdy hairless scientists somewhere later in the book, where he actually has a stab at scientists for being hairless? I think so. Or am, he really, or am he I making really like? I feel like he made a snide remark about about about. Scientists basically about, being betas. Yeah, about the hairless scientist <laughs> who stole his girlfriend. He, also, he goes on to say, so the first great loss or the first thing that evolution, natural evolution, cannot explain is why humans lost a fur coat. And look, I, was, I don't know why we're mostly, or we don't have a fur coat, why we just have some fur on our heads, but probably not because... Well, you need to explain Probably it, not because... Pre-human hominids started eating brains. <laughs> I don't think that's the case. <laughs> anyway, the next thing that he says... He's lining up the ball <laughs> to smack it through the goal. The next thing he says point. that can't be explained is that females have lost sex signs. So in a lot of animals, females will only be... They'll only be fertile. You'll only be able to impregnate them at certain times. And... This isn't the case in humans. Humans can have sex whenever and conceive whenever, if both people are fertile. He says, he says that scientists also claim that this is a sign of progress, which I wasn't aware of. Like, I don't think it's progress to or from anything. It's just how human reproduction works. And he says that this is a terrible thing because it means that Male humans expend sexual energy all the time and are always fighting over access to women. And it's very mechanical. Yeah. And he, he links this to overpopulation. He says that basically because there aren't set times of, he says, of the month that humans will reproduce. He says basically humans just reproduce all the time without thinking of anything else. There's just constant warfare for access to sex. And that... Yeah, because uh, what was it? It was uh, apes can tell. Yeah. Their uh, <clears throat> estrus cycle mm -hmm. is physically very obvious yep. with other primates and other, other mammals, whereas with humans, not so obvious. So men just trying to get it all the time. Which is not entirely untrue. He says, this loss too hit human beings hard. As man's drive towards sexual activity did not lessen, he at first had intercourse indiscriminately at any time with any woman. What stopped this was the advent of marriage. You hear that? Without marriage, humans have sex indiscriminately, any time with any person. 
until you get married. Like bonobos. Exactly, exactly. And like as any person who has lived in any human society knows, this is the case, that it's, it's a free-for-all <sighs> orgy until you get married and then it stops. <laughs> And uh, and uh, <laughs> I have in my notes, <laughs> it says, I wrote a note to myself, did this piece of shit start a sex cult? <laughs> and I said, why is it that pseudoscience crazy men, underscore men, are always attacking the institution of marriage and like talking about polygamy and stuff? It was like, is this just a coincidence? Like fucking Terrence McKenna, fucking uh, Pesaitis, like <laughs> they're always going on about... This uh, they're trying to take down the institution of marriage. Exactly. He's, he's <laughs> I just think it's a it's a strange coincidence. He's picked a few human institutions that he really takes issue with. So he doesn't like tight shoes and tight pants, and he doesn't like marriage. He says he basically says that marriage arose when human when human females stopped displaying sex signs, basically to stop. Massive overpopulation, just humans having sex all the time at the expense of everything else. And so he says... Which, again, he just doesn't know what the fuck... He says that marriage is deeply (laughs) unnatural because of this. And he says, The polygamous ape, which previously had been able to associate freely with all the females of his group, manifesting the signs of fertility, put a chain round his own neck. Now, I I don't know much about, say, how (laughs) chimp troops work, but I do know that... It's the alpha male of the troop who gets access to sex. And if subordinate <laughs> males try to have sex, they tend to get like expelled, beaten up, or killed. It's not this, this free love paradise that Oscar seems to think it was. Similarly, not all human societies have marriage in the way that it's thought of in Europe or European-adjacent societies. Mm. You do have polygamous societies. It's just, well, it's, it's, it's the problem that we have with many things in this book. It's just simply not true. In fact, maybe even before, like, before uh, Christianity, like, was, uh, actually, I don't know enough about history, but I wonder how, how common polygyny actually is as a, like, a con- structure of marriage. It doesn't seem like it's that uncommon when I read about like other cultures. I think it's very common. <laughs> they, if Obviously, you have, have no a very powerful man in society, that they'll have several women. They keep. I'd say it's harems. I mean, even the Bible, like Solomon had a harem, yeah. didn't he? I don't think it's at all <laughs> yeah. uncommon. I do think, though, over time, you you probably do get a selection pressure for <clears throat> monogamous or serial monogamous societies, given that societies which have polygyny you tend to have a large number of young men without female partners, which is just a huge source of instability in any society. Young men without girlfriends or wives are just bad news if there are a large enough number of them. Yes. And I I wanted to make a point before um, that with regards to the overpopulation thing, like he just hasn't thought his point of view through very much because (laughs) there's plenty of times when... Like it's not like nature has this goal of like having a perfect population level no. for each species, and then we just fucked it up. And like, uh the the uh, the visible estrous cycles of other primates uh, is how 
they keep their own population in check. It's like, no, it fucking doesn't. No. Like, like there's examples abound of when, uh, for whatever reason, a species within a particular area will just like have a population explosion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and they might, uh, you know, fuck things up for themselves and then, you know, have a population crash or whatever. But that's, <laughs> it happens, it happens all the time. And whether or not that, uh, species has visible estrus, I don't imagine it plays into it no. at all. No, <laughs> like, there's, even a single There's bit. <laughs> not this intelligence or intentionality overlying nature that says, okay, well, there are, there are meant to be this many of this particular animal and they have these particular aspects to their reproductive cycle that limits their population. No, an animal wants to expand the number of its descendants. Would you say that an animal wants to take up Open space. You mean like in Bronze Age mindset? (laughs) (laughs) Expand into open territories. Has a has a will to space. It is also interesting (laughs) reading this in a time when we're facing down (laughs) demographic references that we can make are just so fucking absurd. But we're facing down a demographic (laughs) crisis in the year 2022. So throughout throughout most of Europe, the population is going to decline over the next few years in china it looks like if at least leaked statistics are anything to go by the population is meant to halve or something by 2050 2060 that's fucking cool and like the number of people who will be over the age of like 60 and so you have this like massive flipping of like okay well there's all these people who can't work Mm -hmm. anymore uh or at least even if they do work they're not as productive and then like a ridiculously small younger population of this, like what do you expect these younger people to do well they're just going to subsidize well not subsidize I shouldn't it's not what i mean mm. but i mean you know he'll pay for this large population but, <laughs> but it's going to be cause huge issues but that's happening all over the world yeah. and we don't have enough people we need to get breeding not enough young people yeah <laughs> so there's a huge like australia at the moment is trying to open up immigration like people are like hey hey we need we need uh more workers here mm-hmm. there's uh, all these industries that are like uh don't have enough workers and pressure get immigration in, fellas. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, he's he's from Nairobi. He's definitely right about how the loss of the fur coat and the loss of female sex signs are regressions, clearly unnatural, clearly evidence of something funny going on with human evolution. Human evolution is not according to the cosmic order. He does say, cosmic. however. No creature on earth is in opposition to its own natural development or the consequences of it. So if man did establish something against which he periodically rebels, this happened not because he was more intelligent, but because he was forced into it by necessity, brought about by an unnatural cause. What's this in reference to? This is in reference to, say, the loss of a fur coat forcing us to wear clothes, these unnatural, tight, constricting clothes that cause irritability and aggression, tight shoes, institutions like marriage, which are clearly unnatural, he says, because people cheat on each other. People will use prostitutes. Clearly. Married men will use yeah, prostitutes. Yeah. It's like you're married. Why are you using Clearly. A you're lying to yeah. yourself. You're lying to society. So clearly. So from the fact that. I'm still not sure I fully follow what he's saying, though, Jack. No, this guy, this guy strikes me as. You know how there are some people that no matter what you say, they will disagree with you, not merely disagree with you, but vociferously disagree with you, almost 
take personal offense. I don't know what you're, you're saying. I don't know yeah. anybody would like that, Jack. This guy is just the extreme of that. <laughs> so no matter what you say. I'm going to have to disagree with you, Jack. I think this guy isn't like that at all. Yeah, but you're, you're, not, you're not acting as if you're personally wounded by it. You just get... I am personally oh, okay. wounded by your accusations. <laughs> it's just he seems he disagrees with everything and seems to take it as such a personal affront. Mm. Yeah, that is strange. You make a good point, actually. Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe maybe some some cue ball scientist stole his fucking girlfriend. Yeah, I reckon that's it. Because also, once we get into him talking about women. And how women take an inordinate amount of pleasure in the sexual act, which is unnatural. I just, I can't help but think, yeah, your girlfriend cheated on you. And that's, that's <laughs> what motivated writing this book. You've seen deep into this He's, man's soul. He is so torn up heartache. by the fact that women I didn't, enjoy sex. I didn't pick up on this, but you, now that you're saying it, like, maybe the you're right. The pieces are falling into place. <laughs> so what a, oh, I've got so many highlights in this. Is this what... But he's got this thing, so loss of fur, loss of female sex signs. Finally, the third mm. thing that evolution or natural evolution just can't explain is the rapid mm. increase in human brain size. Because he says, basically each creature is Surplus. provided yeah. only with such attributes and abilities as are necessary for preservation of self and breed. That's not true. In terms of... In terms of evolution... And also, like, who's to say, even if you said that, it's like, who's to say that, like, being more intelligent isn't good for survival? What the fuck are you talking yeah, about? But it's only... But he <laughs> seems to think that evolution only provides the bare necessity. Like, the, yeah. the, the minimum level of some attribute required to make you survive. So say, say a cheater should only be able to run just as fast... As is required to catch a gazelle and no faster. And if it were able to run any faster, it would indicate an unnatural evolution. Well, he would actually call it, he says, deficiency and excess are diseased conditions. (laughs) So that cheetah who can run faster than it needs to to Mm. catch a particular gazelle or to catch gazelles is actually a diseased cheetah. It's over. It's it's running too fast. Exactly. It's running it's too fast. fast. It's going good. What about, so what about for a prey animal? <laughs> Say a gazelle. If a gazelle is able to outrun a predator too much, does that mean it's a diseased gazelle and it needs to slow things down? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what he's. I'm pretty sure saying. that's what he's saying. <laughs> for for any for any adaptive arms race between any set of. Uh, species sharing like an area <laughs> if any of them are out of kilter where it doesn't just keep the uh, population equilibrium is exactly right then he's basically saying there are uh, they have an excess mm. of whatever that parameter Which is I think as soon as you consider say a, a predator prey relationship obviously stops making sense because wouldn't the predator have what wouldn't the predator be selected for if it can outrun, say, the prey, or if it can catch the prey more easily. Wouldn't the prey have a selective advantage if it could escape the predator more easily? No, says this man. They reach an equilibrium point and just stay there. <laughs> and if you leave it, then it's disease. Where they're just running. But, but wait, which one is running fast enough yeah, under his model? Like, because if they're running the same speed... Mm. Do you think... Do like, you assume there's just a percentage... Like, who's catching... 
What if there's just Sorry. a percentage chance, say, that a prey animal is is caught and eaten by a particular predator? Maybe they have to, if they're running basically the same speed, over the whole population it has to be a 50-50. Mm. Anytime a cheetah and a gazelle have basically a race, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's got to be a 50-50. And if one of the populations is beating them, <laughs> that's, then unnatural. that's an excess of speed. It's probably because they're eating and it's, it's unnatural. Like that and it, uh, the, the cheetah, the fast cheetah is uh, contravening cosmic laws, the cosmic order, and uh, needs to reverse its own eating of other cheetahs or something i don't fucking know so if we could start so we're up it's been it's been a long episode no we're only about an hour in um but we're up to the end of chapter two so just to summarize just so we can get our bearings uh the evidence that something other than natural selection has occurred is that he's given three key pieces of evidence that he calls deficiencies in the one excess the first deficiency is a loss of co- the coat of body hair. The second deficiency is a loss of sex signs. Uh, and the third, which is the excess, is the surplus intelligence. That's his triad for taking mm-hmm. down the collapse of, uh, of uh, natural selection creating human monuments. Scientists can't explain these things. <laughs> well... There we have. He could have ended the book there, really. He would have won a Nobel Prize, but he just... <laughs> he diluted his, his impact with the rest of the book, because I'm convinced. So, for chapter three, the chapter big three, reveal... The empty skull Reveals why all of these strange things happening happened. And I'll open with a quote. One ape discovered that eating the fresh brain of one's own kind increases the sexual impulses... He and his descendants became addicted to brains and hunted for them. It was not until later that they noticed (laughs) that their intelligence increased as a result. The outcome of this process is Homo sapiens. That's his his thesis, is that eating a brain of one's own species is a strong aphrodisiac. You have lots of sex and lots of children. But it also actually increases your intelligence. This is uh, unusually for this man a point of fuzziness where, in some points of the book, he seems to say the increase in intelligence from eating a, a fresh brain is very minute. You only notice the benefits over many, 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 many generations because the increases in intelligence from eating a brain are heritable. He does not provide a mechanism for the heritability, mind you. In some other places, he seems to say you eat a brain and you immediately just become that galaxy brain meme from a few years ago. Your mind (laughs) has just expanded instantly. Uh, uh, He switches between these two positions based on what's most convenient. One of my favourite memes. So the reason why you lose hair, why, why females of the species lose their sex signs and why brain size increases is because... So for the, for, the, for the first two of those points, he says that eating brain affects your pituitary gland. Your pituitary gland is directly responsible for body hair and for female sex signs. In terms of body hair, I guess if I'm going to be extremely generous, extremely generous, he's talking about the hypothalamic pituitary axis, at least in men, 
affecting testosterone production in the testes and to an extent the adrenal glands. And testosterone production does make you grow more body hair. Uh, I, that, is, that is so incredibly generous. The pituitary gland in reality, like if you change it, I don't think it's going to lead to you having a full fur coat or not. But I'm trying to be nice. In terms of female sex, I hate the fucking pituitary Sorry? gland. <laughs> because I hate the I hate the uh, pituitary gland. <clears throat> not explicitly the it's not the pituitary gland's fault, mm. right? The pituitary gland didn't do anything wrong. In fact, in a weird way, because it releases DMT, it's probably the <laughs> coolest gland. <laughs> but uh, it pisses me off because it's like. Uh, a locus, a reoccurring locus of uh, woo-woo nonsense. Mm. These fucking new age hippies and these pseudoscience fellas that always bring up the pituitary They always gland. leave up the hypothalamus <laughs> as well. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very strange. I don't know what they're... The fixation is. Uh, like. well, it's it's like, saying, it's like it's just it's just an organ, guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it does its thing. So what? It's the third what eye. What he says is that it's the seed of the, the soul. reason. Namaste. Human beings, because of the <laughs> the pleasurable sex that you get after eating brains, humans became addicted to brains. But eating a brain messes with your pituitary gland. So. After eating brains, you very rapidly lose your coat of hair. Because you're eating brains and because, because eating brains makes you horny, these male and female pre-human hominids chowing down on brains just had sex all the time, and that made females of the species lose their sex signs. And... It made their brains. Grow. This has sorry made their brains go really quickly. That's what it does. Humans. This has humans are having unnatural now, cannibalistic sex. Now that we're saying it out loud, this has so much overlap with Terence McKenna. <laughs> Except instead of brains, it was shrooms. It was shrooms or brain. Like these two totally fucking cooked cunts. Have basically gone. Whoa, humans are weird. Yeah, and also they've gone. I really don't like modern society for whatever reason because this guy doesn't like no, modern society. McKenna doesn't like modern society. There must have been something our ancestors were doing way back when. Maybe it was something they were eating. McKenna's like, they were picking mushrooms out of the grassland, herbivores shit and eating it to get better visual acuity man mm -hmm. yeah, yeah the pictorial evidence is incontrovertible <laughs> and this guy's like no no <laughs> what they were doing was they were shoveling brains down their gullets <laughs> and 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 that was making them horny but both of them make the same argument like yeah we were eating something in our past that made us particularly horny and made us smart Smart and horny. What makes you smart and horny? <laughs> Mushrooms and brains. <laughs> and so he he notes though that this cannibalism stopped forty to fifty thousand years ago. Why did it stop? 
or at least in most of the world. We'll get into um, <laughs> why, according to him, certain races are just much less evolved and intelligent than others. But in most of the world, in the Northern Hemisphere, brain-eating stopped forty to 50,000 years ago because brain-eating makes the brain bigger, but the skull doesn't grow as quickly. And the brain was getting squished inside the skull, causing brain damage and short-circuiting the brain. The human brain actually, like, it's, it's not flush against your skull. It's, it's not compressed mm. inside your skull. It does have enough yeah. space. In fact, when, when your brain becomes compressed in your skull, you've, it's normally you've got some a serious really problems. You stop breathing. <laughs> you've got some real issues and you need to go to the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, nit- like nitpicking the, the, the factually incorrect statements in this book, we'd just be here all day. <laughs> <laughs> my, my brain is getting compressed. If if you buy what this guy is putting down and you think your brain is too compressed against your skull, maybe you should go and get like one of those drill pieces and jump in a time machine and go back to like medieval Europe and get some bores drilled in the pot. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Release some of that intracranial pressure. <laughs> he, um... He starts talking about cannibalism as well. So he says that scientists, stupid scientists, say that... Oh, how about I read a quote? At the same time, a highly esteemed (laughs) group of scholars regards cannibalism as the superstitious and reasonless right of a primitive religious belief, and they established this without ever having discussed the matter with a cannibal. But (laughs) what he does, he says... Oh, later in the book, he says, oh, I talked to cannibals and they told me that this is why they eat brains. But then even further along in the book, he says or he admits that, oh, yeah, cannibals who eat brains won't actually talk about it because they understand deep down that it's sinful. So I think he's tacitly acknowledging that, yes, he talked to cannibals, but they wouldn't tell him why they ate brains. But then he's already inferred... Oh, I thought it was more like the cannibal that he was talking to was just like on the down low and it's like he had to do, basically had to do some like sneaky kind of like it's cool man, you know, like I'm undercover, I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not an anthropologist that's going to like cramp on you. No, because this was, this was really oh, okay. unclear. He never says outright that he talked to a cannibal and the cannibal told him why they do this. All he said is that <laughs> he ate a, he once ate a monkey brain somewhere in Asia. He once talked to a cannibal, and that and he got cannibals don't <laughs> don't talk, talk about grandson. why they um why they eat brains. So I'm not sure he actually talked to a cannibal about why they eat brains because all he said is that he has talked to a cannibal, but he never said what he talked to them about. And then he said, oh, they're really cagey about talking about their brain-eating initiation rituals because deep down they know that this is unnatural and sinful. They won't discuss it with outsiders. He's all over. (laughs) (laughs) So he says, okay, so he says there's extensive fossil record evidence of human skulls having 
I think he says that you um, break through the nose. There's evidence of someone having broken through their nose and scooped out their skull. I don't know if these exist or not, but he says, okay, clearly this is because the pituitary gland is the, the best bit of the brain to eat if you want to get horny and get more intelligent. Obviously, you want to eat the pituitary gland. You get at that through the nose. He also says you can't have eaten brains for culinary reasons because brains are gross and tasteless. I, um, I, <clears throat> I do want to call out one thing. Uh, I think this is roughly in line with where you are at the moment, which is a, uh, he, he kind of pulls this card multiple times throughout the book, uh, which is he, it's kind of a Freudian, it's not Freudian, it's kind of just this uh, psycho analytic mm. nonsense. And this is the first place that, excuse me, I noted, so pseudo-psychology is some subconscious nonsense where he tries to like dismiss opposing points of view or whatever because it's just like subconscious. So uh, why don't you ask like why don't modern theories of like human development include cannibalism? And he says science holds various opinions concerning ca- cannibalism, but they all have one thing in common: they are just as untenable as the hitherto accepted theories about the origin of man. Most theories will willfully gloss over cannibalism. Why? Because in man's subconscious, cannibalism created a feeling of guilt which has been transmitted through heredity to all of man's descendants. Therefore, he instinctively runs away from this phenomenon, oppressed by subconscious guilt, and refuses under any circumstances to see a connection between his own development into man and cannibalism. Yeah, yeah. If I may continue that with another quote. From the very beginning, man has Go, regarded yeah, yeah. this act as sinful. He was killing completely innocent fellow men, generally unknown to him, solely in order to satisfy his sexual urge. On account of this crime, an inherited subconscious sense of guilt has made him feel ever since that the sexual act itself is sinful. Yeah, he, quite a few people we've read for this podcast do the same thing where they harden the subconscious. They can just basically say anything about anyone, and then if anyone disputes that, they say, oh, no, you're not aware of it. You're doing it subconsciously. That's an interesting way to put it. I've never heard of a heart in the subconscious. It yeah. was like, so it's, it's a like fucking practical complete, female psychology. It's how fucking bullshit. They say, oh, yeah, all women are just yeah. looking to beaterize men and then immediately have sex with other men. And if you, the obvious thing to do would be to ask a woman, is this how you feel? And no matter that woman's answer, the authors of Practical Female Psychology will say, no, 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 it's subconscious. She's not aware of it. And in the same way, this guy, yeah. if he's, he's got to get out of jail free card, as soon as you ask any scientist, say an evolutionary biologist, hey, is the reason why you subscribe to these particular beliefs about, say, evolutionary theory, is that because you have a sense of shame, a sense of sin and guilt that your ancestors were killing innocent humans to eat their brains to use as an aphrodisiac to have really fucked up sex. Is that why you believe the things you believe? And they will say, no, I don't reckon. And then Oscar Kissmeyer can say, no, 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 no. It's subconscious. You're not aware of it. That's why I'm right and you're wrong. <laughs> so it's a uh, suppression. It's exactly. Suppression of, uh, exactly. What is that term that the psychoanalyst uses? Repressed. The, uh, 
a neuroticism. A neuroticism, a yeah. Repressed neuroticism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which is, again, which is why, like, Popper calls out the psychoanalysts and the Freudians. <clears throat> this whole idea, if you can set up this, get out these, these trap doors, <laughs> you know, uh, these trap doors to get out of your own, uh, to, like, basically dismiss your opponent's point of view and create this like unfalsifiable system mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like okay you can just say whatever the fuck you want and then you're like well if you disagree with me it's because uh you know patriarchal uh denial of this thing or classist denial of that thing or subconscious <laughs> like well that's not very helpful <laughs> it's not it's actually not a very helpful thing to say um, if cannibalism had not been practiced until an advanced stage of man's development, I quote, when man already had a bigger brain, one could take it that he was acting under the influence of some hallucination. But as cannibalism began when man was still an animal, it cannot be a senseless act <laughs> because an animal does nothing unless he derives some benefit from it. <laughs> what then was the real reason causing a vegetarian ape to eat the brains of his own kind and to continue this strange practice over a period of more than a million years up to our own times. Sex. Exactly. <laughs> and I love, I love it how he does this, where he just takes as, as a necessary condition for the question he's asking that humans or pre-human hominids did cannibalise each other's brains. It's like, well, this is an established fact. They all did it. So why? <laughs> um, <clears throat> and then I've got another quote. It's a little bit, it's a little bit long. I don't. Know. I think it should be fine. It's not too long. Quote. quote. Um, so he says, cannibalism is the cause of human development. Uh, the first cannibal apes could not know at the start that eating brain not only stimulated them sexually but increased their intellectual capacities as mm. well. Well, obviously, because how could they how know could that they? before they've eaten it? It was not until later that they discovered the effect on their intelligence. Mm. Hey, we've got, we've got a positive feedback loop here. He's a systems, systems thinker. <laughs> most, unfortunately, <laughs> most unfortunately, they discovered also that eating brain caused the intel- their own intelligence <clears throat> to grow permanently and that this lasting effect then became hereditary. Furthermore, they discovered that it was more effective to eat the brains of those of their own species who had themselves already acquired additional intelligence Mm. in the same way. So the brains of the cannibals themselves became an ever more highly prized substance of making one clever. So this is like an exponentiating function. (laughs) Brains became more valuable from generation to generation. This is He's he's talking about like the literal accrual of Mm -hmm. knowledge in civilization by eating brains. Therefore, cannibalism later came to be practiced only among the cannibals themselves. Anthropoids, which were not cannibals, were left in peace as objects of no worth and remained apes. <laughs> exactly. He, do, he never pro- provides a mechanism how eating a brain, because eating a brain, if it is to be heritable, must affect the gametes. So I say either eggs or sperm. He doesn't say how this happens, but... You you can assume you can assume he's thought these things through. Do you think there's much <laughs> more to add from this chapter? It's basically the whole chapter is him repeating himself over and over that humans got really horny from eating brains and as a byproduct got more intelligent. 
talks about the full moon. Oh, he says some funny stuff about uh, <clears throat> the cannibals in Timor or whatever. They don't like they're being metal. Oh, yeah, metal, metal kills. <laughs> so they time, they time the kill with the full yeah. moon for whatever reason, and then they don't like metals being... And then he says some stupid stuff about, like, metals. We only started getting metals, like, a few thousand mm. years ago, and metals radiate stuff that destroys the, um, like, purity or yeah. the quality of the He just the brain. calls it brain he's, substance. He's basically saying that all metals are radioactive. Yeah, the brain substance <laughs> their intelligence like, if eaten are degraded by rays emitted by metals. And then he's got a pretty hectic picture of a, a headhunter from New Guinea mm. with like a dude's fucking yeah. head, which I found a little bit off-putting and like quite caught me by surprise. He's, he's got I'm a like, few Whoa. pretty good pictures. <laughs> I still think the best pictures in this book are the ones where he's got pictures of different human races and then comparing them to different monkey faces. And he's like, oh, yeah, this guy looks like this oh, monkey. Yeah, so they were probably descended from this type of monkey. Oh, and no, he does. He does. He does have a, a funny bit. Though. The question, why the brain of an old man? So he's talking about the, I think he's talking about the people in mm. New Guinea. They prefer to eat old men. He's saying, <clears throat> the question, why the brain of an old man was eaten at all? There comes always the same reply. The old men were clever. They had this cleverness in them because they themselves had eaten the brains of many other clever men and had gathered much experience in the course of their long lives. Anyone who had eaten the brain of such a man not only became more clever, but acquired as well the secret knowledge of the man who had been killed. Yeah, I, I, I do uh, for remember. The oftener one had eaten brain and the more one had eaten of it, the greater one's knowledge mm-hmm. became. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And now um, this, this knowledge sorry. was very highly uh, prized. He says that that females. It's always a bit of a red. <laughs> it's always a bit of a red flag females. when people refer to women as females. I've noticed a trend. But when that females helped drive this this sin flag, <laughs> because they would only breed with men who'd eaten brains because they were that much better in bed. <laughs> women, as always. Women are responsible for whatever <laughs> bad thing current author doesn't like. <laughs> um, the other thing that he said that was funny, which was these cannibals also affirmed that not only the intelligence and the physical well-being of the victim oh, the transferred, too, wasn't it? But but his boldness and courage, oh, and memories. He said that a bit further back. Therefore, if the victim is a brave warrior or even a chief, the operation will be all the more successful. Mm. And then I was, I was like, um, so is he basically saying like these, like presumably tribes, especially if like is uh, in the historically, are basically finding like the healthiest, strongest, bravest men fucking eating them and eating their brains? Is that what? <laughs> it's like we're gonna take the the best hunter. <laughs> And we're going to kill him, eat his brains, and then we'll all be great hunters now. He also says, just offhandedly, I, I have a feeling that he that these tribes, even when they were cannibals, were not doing this. I think I imagine they were leaving the best hunters alone. <laughs> he also says offhandedly that Chinese people eat each other's hearts to gain courage. Look, I'm not an expert <laughs> on Chinese society, but I. T- I've never heard of that. It's like Chinese um, people going around eating each other's hearts. 
This is an accepted <laughs> practice. It's like the Wizard of Oz. Like, all the Tin Man needed to do was fucking stab the shit out of Dorothy, Dorothy and eat her heart. Rip her heart out and, and eat her heart. And no, the lion, yeah, the lion, the, the, the cow. Oh, that's lion. It. I just needed to eat somebody's heart. <laughs> that would be such a funny version of uh, the Wizard of Oz to just see the lion just immediately eats Dorothy. <laughs> In the next chapter called uh, The now, Great Changes, he he goes a bit more into the effects of eating brains upon human beings. And he's got this quote about love that I that I, I quite like. So because he's a bit he seems <laughs> he seems sort of like a smelly neckbeard in that it's someone who just sits at home and <laughs> complains about what most people like or what most people do in a very moralistic way, implying that because he doesn't do those things, he is superior. And so because most people like love, he doesn't like it. And he says of love, Mm. it was not until after this change brought about likewise by the changing roles of hormones, as an aside, eating brains changes your hormones, just cause, that the exclusively human (laughs) physical and emotional longing, which he calls love, came into being. Man considers this kind of love a sign of his superiority vis-a-vis animals, the result of higher intelligence and natural development, even though this love includes the pain of being crossed in love and suicide, even murder (laughs) motivated by sex. In his literature, the sex-obsessed ape sings the praises of a mortal illness which will set the seal on the inevitable fate awaiting him as a result of overpopulation. And this is where, when he's writing this, he's imagining <laughs> that handsome, hairless young scientist who stole his girlfriend. Is this where you're, this um, is where love gets you. Your sort of theory was forming. Yeah. Or you started thinking like, wait a wait second. Wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> what happened to you, Oscar? Who hurt you? Make a scientist hurt him. A scientist and a no-good, cheating, sex-obsessed woman who would have been pure if only our ancestors hadn't partaken of brains. (laughs) You reckon maybe that's why he ran away to a monastery in remote China? Maybe. (laughs) Because he had a broken Yeah, he went MGTOW after his girlfriend cheated on him. He went MGTOW all the way to <laughs> all the way to China. a Chinese monastery to write about brain eating apes. That's where NoFap gets you. That's no, about no, as MGTOW as you MGTOW can get. MGTOW NoFap. His sexual energy wasn't stolen by <laughs> women or masturbation. Instead, it was concentrated, and he was able to see into his subconscious. He was able to see where human evolution came from. He cracked the mystery. <laughs> I think I'm imagine okay if I just try to use my imagination mm. for a second what would it take for me to just isolate myself in a rural chinese monastery for months and just write a fucking 200 page book about cannibalism I think you would have to be in a really really fucked up place (laughs) well more evidence for my girlfriend theft by a scientist theory of the origin of the beginning was the end 
He says, Hey, what do you think, audience? The brain was always <laughs> eaten by the men. Because of this, men were more deeply affected in their sex life than women. And there has been a greater alteration in what excites them sexually. So in sexual intercourse, men generally reach orgasm sooner than women. You see the pieces falling into place. He couldn't make the distance with his girl. She wasn't satisfied. <laughs> Do you know who could make the distance, though? A scientist. <laughs> the scientist that stole Oscar's girlfriend made him go MGTOW and no fap and disappear into a scientist. rural Chinese monastery to write a book about monkey brains. <laughs> and he, says, he talks about some things that humans do later on in order to alleviate basically premature <laughs> ejaculation. And one of them is, uh, is, uh, is, uh, circumcision. Yeah. Yeah. To make more sense. <laughs> so I'm imagining, you know, what's a population with circumcised penises in a high, high, uh, proportion of science scientists. Hmm? Jack, <laughs> maybe from Europe, <laughs> European community, <laughs> maybe. May, I, mean, I, don't I, don't know. Know. I don't know. I'm just saying. Maybe this is where the anti-Semitism comes just, in. Uh... <laughs> um, we really need to get some. We can upload these. So if I if I do the, uh, how funny was that? Yeah. Mm. Good work, audience. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you, everyone. You know, we're very smart. We can actually upload our own ones into this. So now we can have a soundboard. Oh, nice. For our. So if we want to upload like Terrence, Terrence McKenna. McKenna saying some funny stuff or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So He's also got this Just bit. a heads up in the future. We're, we're bringing up the video and audio quality. We're investing $24 a month in Riverside to make these, these shows much better for you, audience. We're investing in this for you because we fucking love you so much. Um, and we're going to even invest in some high quality sound production, <laughs> like the sound of Terrence McKenna. <laughs> He's got this thing. Um, so he, def he, he didn't only, like most MGTOW people, when his girlfriend cheated on him, he decided that all women were trash. How does he justify this? Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's a pretty common well, pattern with Red let, Bull and Meat Let me tell you. <laughs> he says, just as the brain, which was always eaten by the men, brought about stronger sexual impulses in them, so it caused higher intelligence, which was poised on more, oh no, which was passed on more to sons than to daughters. That is why a difference in intelligence exists between man and woman. See, yeah, that's he doesn't why, fuck around. He just that's goes why she up, yeah, cheated on him. She didn't <laughs> cheat on him because he couldn't make the distance in bed, or because he was an asshole who does things like rights. The beginning was the end. No, he was cursed by brain eating <laughs> to be too sensitive, and therefore he came too quickly for her. She was cursed by lower intelligence because only the men ate the brains. So she couldn't see just what a supreme gentleman, what a nice guy he was. She was poisoned by an increase in sexual pleasure caused by brain eating, which no other female animal experiences. See, so much of this book, I think, was written to justify to himself why his girlfriend ran away from him with a scientist, why he got with dumped. a hairless scientist. Why he got dumped, yeah. Somebody left him for a scientist. Yeah, what's fucking cooked about this guy is 
he's just he's also just obviously such a fucking asshole. Yeah. Could you imagine the person who translated this into English is a woman, <laughs> Judith Hayward or something? Could you imagine this poor woman? I mean, I don't know if I feel sorry for her. You know what? Fuck her. <laughs> she <laughs> Fuck translated. Her. <laughs> she fucking deserves it. She she was in. She was translating this, and she was thinking, "Yeah, yeah, I want my name on the cover of this book." Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm translating from whatever quality of German or whatever it was written in to basically perfect yeah, you're English. Doing a good job of it. Basically, like nice, it is perfect. It is written. perfect English. <laughs> Uh, and she's thinking like, yeah, I agree with this man. <laughs> and I feel sorry if he did actually ever have a partner or a wife, God forbid, he would have just been a fucking train wreck. Of she ran away from him. To have a relationship with. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm going to die on I this. Pray this man didn't this is why the book was written. Hey man, same. This is like a meta literary analysis. And I, uh, I get down with it. I can see what you see where mm. you're going with it. He also, he does complain about women having too many rights. This is so the book. The book started off as pseudoscience, but rapidly went in basically every direction of everything else we've read for this podcast. <laughs> it brings in woo woo. It brings in <laughs> yeah, women have too many rights in yeah, society. Yeah. <laughs> it brings in race mixing is bad. It brings in it, race. It brings in everything. Like this is. This is the lucky dip of everything that we read about for the podcast. Well, you should. You, he's uh, got this quote yes, about sorry. women having too many rights, which is pretty good. So, if a society puts political or cult, wait, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which 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 bit is pretty good? Oh, this is the part where women have too yeah. many rights. Is that what you agree? Yeah, with yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so when I read out this quote, this is a this is a full throated endorsement of everything he's saying. Political or cultural power in the hands of women as a sign of its progress or even hands over leadership to them, it is displaying evidence of the individual impoverishment of its men. In such a society, people will be able to distinguish what is important less and less from what is unimportant. The men become effeminate and the women masculine. The sexes will become alienated from each other and sexual life will assume a condition of chaos. Philosophical thought, art, legislation, a healthy way of life, sensible economic goals, all will disappear to be replaced by absurd objectives. The downfall of such a society is only a question of time. Why is this happening? So he says, naturally, capital N naturally, there is a big difference in intelligence between men and women. However, our educational system is making men stupider and bringing men down Mm. to the level of women. And so women... Seeing that men aren't any more capable than them, demand rights. So, being immensely generous, I will say, to an extent, he is saying, "Oh, in our society, men and women are as capable as each other." So, I will give him—I don't know if even half marks, but say, point one marks for, I guess, conceding that in today's society, men and women are equally capable. However, his working to get to that point in the broader context makes it very hard to really credit him with anything here. That's an unbelievably generous interpretation, Jack. 
Can I read? Can I read a bit? Just yes, to, this is. You can stop me because I, I pulled out a big chunk for this. Uh, <laughs> uh, men are smarter than women because it is their sons that eat the brains. That's the summary of what I'm about mm. to read. Uh, I think you might have quoted a little bit of this already, but like, there's a bunch of stuff here that. Uh, but I'll just start from the beginning. Uh, just as the brains which was eaten by the men brought about stronger sexual impulses in them, so it caused higher intelligence, which was passed on more to the sons and daughters. That is why there is a di- difference in intelligence. And then he goes on to say, but the picture alters substantially as soon as it is a question of the spheres of intelligence which came into being, not as a result of pre-cannibal natural evolution, but artificially as a result of cannibalism. In all those intellectual abilities which human beings have achieved through cannibalism, man is superior to woman. The genius, <coughs> the genius of the human species is far more pronounced in man. <laughs> the supreme achievements in art, religion, physics, technology, indeed even in culinary art, even, even in the kitchen, <laughs> were always and still are the preserve of men. The knowledge of all knowledge, philosophy, is masculine is the is a masculine domain. Women can learn and understand philosophical ideas. Sure they can. And even act according like act behavioralistly. Mm-hmm. But they cannot conceive ideas of decisive significance <laughs> and affect this field. For this reason, all great thinkers, philosophers, and founders of religions were men. And so it will remain. If a woman is exceptionally successful in one of these fields of learning, then there is something wrong with her sex hormones. And last quote. Last quote. Uh, extreme climatic conditions hostile to the human species. And uh, no, I think, did you did you quote that one? Uh, no, no you going. already said So that was like the preamble. Uh, ex- is it? Uh, extreme climatic conditions hostile to the human species and repressive educational systems, wrong ways of living and the pursuit of wrong aims as well can dull human genius enormously. First and foremost, that of men. In such a society, women will demand equal rights and they will be justified in doing yeah, so. Yeah. Not because they have become more clever, you, yeah. <laughs> but because men have become stupider. <laughs> uh, and and I just, I just, he just, it just went... It just it just went really like really sexist really quickly like kind of out of nowhere it just went yeah. like zero to a hundred of just like not just not even fucking around just men and women men are better than and women and this and the reason is the reason is because we eat brains yeah well we <laughs> eat brains we don't do it anymore not a, we're not no, eating brains anymore and we're society. educated so we've gotten stupider whereas women who are naturally non, not, not as avid brain eaters as men should, I guess, naturally be subordinate. I'm pretty sure that's what Mr. Mick Alchani's monastery monkey brain eater is saying. Uh, uh, he's got this good bit about how... Is there something um, about China? Oh, no. I, sorry. He's got this quote about... Um, so women are less intelligent. As an aside, he says that... Women ate fewer brains than men, and also brain eating, the intelligence from brain eating is passed on more effectively to male offspring than female. I talked to my wife about this. Granted, Mm. you know, she's not the descendant of brain eaters, so her opinion is naturally less less relevant here. I think it's suspect. As well as this, she does have a bachelor's degree in neuroscience, so she's also been quite corrupted by education. (laughs) <laughs> but we were trying to work out the genetic mechanism by which eating a brain would change your gametes and then be preferentially passed on to male offspring than female. So it must be doing something to the Y chromosome. 
if it's passed on to male offspring. But it must also be doing something to X chromosomes because it is also passed on to female offspring, but it must affect the X chromosomes less. What we came up with was that it probably, <laughs> so it must be affecting sperm, but probably not eggs for a few reasons. Sperm, sperm are continuously produced throughout a male's life. So eating a brain will affect newly produced sperm, whereas women, women are really born with a, the compl- their life's complement of eggs. They're not producing more of these. So conceivably, a woman eats a brain. It might benefit her as an individual, but her eggs have already been produced. So it's not going to be affecting those. Whereas if a man eats a brain, men are still producing sperm. So it's going to be passed. It's going to affect those sperm somehow. It's going to affect the genetic material in those sperm. And it's going to affect Y chromosomes more than X chromosomes because the Ys are the ones passed on to male offspring. That is the uh, yes. That is the immensely generous and full of holes hmm. <laughs> genetic mechanism and biological mechanism for how intelligence gained through brain eating is passed on preferentially to male rather than female offspring. Makes sense. Makes sense. <laughs> I mean, look, I, what we've come up with is, like also, like is also easily, I think there's something easily disputed. I reckon we should try and write up a, a paper, submit it to nature. <laughs> Our theory is easily disputed because it's definitely wrong. It's just we were trying really hard to try to reconcile his, his monkey brain theory. Like some sort of physical, yeah, physical some mechanism. Sort of mechanism. <laughs> with, As listeners can, can hear... So, being married to me is really fun because you get to have these sorts of conversations. It's, hey, Anna, how do you think uh, the, the monkey brain eating theory? I think Fee can't stand, stand the conversations. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, she likes it. She likes it. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> I've got something I want to discuss so, with you. So mine is kind of like, so Fee, I read another book about why, why women's men are better than women. Yeah. <laughs> Probably <laughs> just thinking, as, like, what the just fuck? Just we've become connoisseurs of of anti-Semitism. It's we've read so many different justifications <laughs> for why Jews are really bad. We've also become connoisseurs of sexism. There are there are so many different ways that men can justify disliking women. I will grant I will grant Mr. MGTOW Chinese Monastery. Oscar's quite an inventive. This is an inventive way. <laughs> <laughs> for, for justifying yeah, why women are trash. I would, this is um, definitely far yeah. on the inventive a, end of the inventive, uninventive scale of misogyny. It's just still not very compelling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I haven't been... Um, See, so the problem... <laughs> My problem... <laughs> <laughs> my problem is that... Uh, like, <laughs> uh, in my studies and stuff, women always just did better than me at university and stuff. <laughs> it's just always was like, that's because like, you've become yeah, whatever, stupid with your education as a man. <laughs> I think that makes a lot I more sense. I don't know why, I think though. I need so to start if his eating, theory, eating more brains. If his theory is correct, though. So, intel- or education must make 
women less stupid than it makes men stupider because so men are educated and they become stupider women are also getting educated now so if men and women were equally negatively affected by intelligence you would expect men to still be much smarter than women because women will also by an equivalent amount get stupider when they're educated so there will still be an intelligence differential between men and women but what he's saying is that women and men are now yeah, similarly intelligent. The other thing is that you but have women to remember must that. be less negatively affected by education than men. No, no, but here's here's the here's the complicating factor mm, with my mm. educational underperformance compared to my female colleagues or female peers is that I am of Australasian descent. Oh, so you've got the Australian. <laughs> and this we so have I have a smaller this. brain capacity. <laughs> and on that note, I will read you a quote. Me with my, with my, just with my to bridge this nice, brain, this nice nexus. This, the, the, I can't compete with galaxy white man <laughs> brain Jack over here. <laughs> Indo-European <laughs> Jack. <laughs> uh, I'm going to bring this nexus beautiful... He, he manages to thread the needle of sexism and, and in racism <laughs> against <laughs> Australasian this book, people. This into, racism into... and sexism wasn't present for a while, and then there's a point at which it just goes through the roof. This is the point. Yeah. This is the this point where he said, man did not educate woman imperfectly. He gave her no brain to eat. To bring female intelligence up to the same level as that of man by means of education is just as impossible as to bring the intelligence of an Aboriginal of New Guinea up to the level of that of a Chinese by education. If a race became cannibals 100,000 years later, then members of that race do not need education to raise their intelligence, but 100,000 years of cannibalism. <laughs> if someone wanted to commit the error of giving women man's intelligence, then women would have to begin eating brain and continue doing so for several tens of thousands of years. Not only their daughters would have been made cleverer by this, however, but to a lesser extent their sons too. As, however, intelligence gained by cannibalism entails for human beings the burden of delusions, there would be even greater chaos. <laughs> yep. So in terms of Australian government policy... Do you think so? You know how there there are programs at the moment. Look, Jack, if you want to close the gap close the between gap. <laughs> the educational gap between First Nations Australians and the rest of the population educational outcomes, you just need to give us a like, hundred thousand years of, of Do you reckon you could shorten that though? Like <laughs> if say the Australian government had a like eat yeah, more brains a brain eating program. First I think Nations I might Australians. Send, they were like send like a letter to so suppose we could we could we something. work out okay what what's the number of say brains per unit time eaten by not so people so he says then is there a saturation capacity yeah. per, per yeah is this a saturable process or can so you just if you just eat we need to work hmm. out how many brains the, Eurasian because he says Jack. it was it was the Eurasian continent where brain eating was was going on. First, Mesopotamia. He keeps calling it Mesopotamia, even though, like, this predates the existence of Mesopotamia as a political organisation, but basically the Middle East, modern-day Iraq, was where brain-eating started, but then rapidly spread through Eurasia, the Eurasian continent. So that's where it happened first. We need to work out how many brains per unit time Eurasians were eating 
and then for First Nations Australians to close the gap. So say, what was he saying? You need 100,000 years of brain eating. So if we want to close the gap to a year, you would need to multiply that, you know, the number of brains eaten by unit time by 100,000. So, so how many brains would a typical Indo-European or Mes pre-Mesopotamian, mm. whatever the fuck, <laughs> proto-Indo-European in Mesopotamia, pre-Mesopotamia, uh, eat in a typical calendar year? Mm. Let's say they ate once every full moon. Mm. Is it okay, once so a month, what, 12 moon, brains roughly? a year? 12, 12 brains a year. Yep. Uh, okay, one, so one point two million brains over hundred thousand years to close 1. the gap. million brains, but that's but but that is spread over many mm. many generations, and surely you're not eating a full brain per person per generation. Like mm. each time they kill a person, do they split? Do they split like one brain between, say, like five dudes, right, or something? Just to make it a little bit easier, let's just say it's one brain between two dudes. You get a hemisphere yeah. each. So now we're down to 600,000 brains. If you want to do it in a year, okay. Well, okay, maybe if you want to do it over the next 60 years, that's only like 600,000 brains, 60 years. What's that? Uh, 60,000. That's 10,000 brains. You only need to eat 10,000 brains a person. I reckon that's a sustainable number of brains. I reckon. So where are you going to get... Yeah, Australia would probably need an imperialist border policy to be able if to you get want, these brains. And now Where there's, are you get there's these about brains? a million Aboriginal people. So there's a million Aboriginal people. So we'd need, <laughs> we would need access to 10 billion human brains. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you close it. <laughs> this, this is our plan to close the gap. <laughs> Just need to secure millions <laughs> of human brains, <laughs> millions of human brains to feed to Aboriginal Australians. <laughs> close the gap in sixty years. One lifetime, we can we close a hundred thousand years of cannibalistic gap. <laughs> we can do it. This is the next moon moon landing. <laughs> this is the great Australian calling. <laughs> you want to make up for the last two hundred years of colonization, Jack? You Indo-European. <laughs> give me, give me some human brains. <laughs> the human brain industries. I'm going to write a letter to my MP. <laughs> my local representative. This is this a really is good a, idea. This is a cause I care about. I know how to fix colonization. Hey. <laughs> hey, listeners. Hey, if there's any listeners in any of the colonies, really, we've just had the fucking Commonwealth Games, guys. This is not just an issue that affects Australia. All right. Shout out to New Zealand <laughs> and everyone else. Although I reckon, I think, did they have cannibalism over New Zealand? I don't want to be racist to the Maoris. <laughs> I don't know where they, I don't know. I don't know. They're pretty. They're pretty fearsome bunch. They're pretty full on. <laughs> well, let's Anyways, just assume that they uh, too will need an out. intensive brain eating program to close the gap. 
how are we going to get these brains? Anyways, that's a, that's an, that's an implementation mm, detail. Mm. We don't need to worry about that right now. Do you reckon <laughs> lab-grown... What are... Researchers going into lab-grown meat. Does that count? What if you make lab-grown... Uh, no, no, that doesn't count, though. Brain no, 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 no. Because lab-grown brains don't have accrued experience. They don't have... Like, when I eat the they old They don't man, have accrued says prana, in which was his... We'll get into the woo-woo stuff, because that... <laughs> Don't you worry. This goes really woo-woo really Anytime quickly. Anytime I hear somebody start talking about prana, my fucking brain just switches off. I just want to go to a yoga class and just do some exercise, and then the fucking yoga teacher starts talking about prana. Yeah, that's, why I do, I that's why I use YouTube like, right, yoga. Get it out of the way. Yeah, yeah, but I like going to yoga classes. Nice to be around people. <laughs> I, I don't Anyways, know that like, okay, around. so we need to write to the Australian government. And maybe get the UK on the hook for this because mm, you know, they yeah. brought the conflict It's a here. classic Australian <laughs> thing say, hey. that when good things were done, it was Australians. When bad things were done, it was the English. It was, it was the English. I like that. Yeah, I like that. So the UK good. needs to subsidise Australia's feeding Aboriginal people right. <laughs> tens of billions of human brains, lab-grown human brains over the next 50 years. <laughs> And and beneficiaries of this policy don't get a choice. They are going to eat those brains. <laughs> yeah, they need to put it in as like uh, this. This outlasts the elections, man. <laughs> anyway, now now that we've solved colonialism, moving on. <laughs> where do we go to now? Oh, did you do you remember that bit where he talks about why? Why black people have flat noses and big lips? <laughs> I will start it off with a quote. Yeah, go on, no, go on, it can go on, be go on. stated as a law that tropical races have a broad flat nose and a thick upper lip covered with numerous pores, mm. while races from temperate or cold climates have a narrow long nose and a thin upper lip. So he says... Because we don't have mm. fur coats, we can't thermoregulate at all. You just you just die. <laughs> so, race, races from cold climates have long, thin noses. You can you can see my long, thin nose here. That's because it warms long, thin Indo-European nose, and that stops you dying <clears throat> from hypothermia. Whereas race, I've got a weird long, long European mm. nose because I got. Fucking, I'm a filthy mudblood. <laughs> Does that mean mixed race people in the Australian brain eating experiment will get proportionally fewer brains? Do I need proportionally fewer brains? No, don't cut me out, man. This is, this is a, no, being Aboriginal is a binary operation. <laughs> all right. <laughs> it's, it's not, it's not a matter of proportion. I want my share of brains. <laughs> Yeah, but then you're going to get brain damage from your brain damage. You already took my land. Don't take my brains, Jack. Yeah, but it's your own good because he notes that brain eating stopped 50,000 years ago among the Indo-European and Asian races because their brains outgrew their skulls and they started getting epilepsy. <laughs> I love the next bit where he goes, he goes and the men of, of uh, the races of like, Tropical races, <laughs> which is again, this is just 
<laughs> not true. <laughs> Generally do not have any moustache, or if they do, only a very sparse, <laughs> sparse little moustache, and one only at the corners of the mouth, for a full moustache would impede the function of their thick upper yeah, lip. Yeah, the reason why you have a thick upper lip, with lots of pores and with teeth that push the upper lip out, is so that you sweat on your upper lip and it, that evaporates and that cools your body. And without that, in warm climates, you die. Which begs the question, why do, why do descendants of cool climate races not immediately die in the tropics without this thick upper lip <laughs> sparse hair growing <laughs> Oh, my God. <laughs> uh he said also that uh, it is noteworthy, too, that some African tribes living in the hottest and most human equatorial climates have increased the cooling effect of their thick upper lip by artificial intervention and still do. They bore a hole in the middle of the upper lip directly under the nose as this hole is always covered with wetness from the saliva. Constant and rapid evaporation is produced by breathing and thereby a cooling effect. <laughs> This guy's racism is really something else. It's it's really it's a very strange racism. Very as well. I've never read anything like, like this. I was reading this and I'm just like, what fucking planet is this dude on? It's turbo racism, but from a very weird perspective. <laughs> from cannibalism, he started off with cannibalism. Yeah. He subscribes to this belief that eating certain body parts just makes that body part better. So, here I've got a quote: "The primitive, um, oh no, sorry, the principle whereby brain is good for the brain, liver for the liver, and heart for the heart." He goes on to say, "Scientists have little to gain from finding out why eating testicles affects the sex life. It just does." <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah. Um, he also goes on to talk about, so I'm pretty sure this guy must have been a vegetarian because he keeps talking about why meat eating is terrible and it makes you really aggressive yeah. and sexual. I read between, I don't reckon he was, I reckon he was one of those fucking vegan. Fucking or do you reckon, pretentious do you reckon vegans. that so when this scientist <laughs> stole his party of a girlfriend? <laughs> Do you reckon it, like, the first time they met, was it, it like, was, a barbecue or something like that, and they met each other, say, eating lamb chops or something like that? And from that this moment... has got a lot of hang-ups, man. I don't know. It could be anything. I reckon meat-eating has something to do with <laughs> yeah, his yeah. girlfriend running away from him and him going MGTOW into a Chinese monastery. I reckon maybe his ex was paleo. Maybe. Yeah, or keto. And this is, like, a reaction. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And so he's... he's He's uh, turned vegan. Yeah. He's... We actually should see if we can find some crazy vegan literature. Yeah, as well we really should. How about we get into woo-woo? <laughs> Shout out to the vegans. We love you. Keep on listening. <laughs> <laughs> oh, actually, before we get on to woo-woo, I reckon the scientist who stole this guy's girlfriend was bald because he, does, he talks about bald people. So, yeah, he doesn't like a bald people. No, he <laughs> thinks they're they're sexually voracious. Because energy energy is Was stored it? in ah. the hair, and when you're bald, energy is not being put into that hair. But that energy has to go somewhere. So he says, 
Since ancient times, wise men, including the Christian God in the Middle Ages, have been represented as bald-headed, baldness was considered as a sign not only of great age, but of wisdom. Moreover, bald men considered themselves as more sexually vigorous than men with hair. Both inferences are correct. The sum of energy no longer used for growing hair, because the hair roots have died away, benefits either the intelligence or the sex urge, often even both. So, poor Oscar Kiss Myert, who, because his ancestors ate brains, couldn't last longer than 15 seconds in bed to please his girlfriend, who, because of brain eating, enjoys sex too much. This bald, hairless scientist, voracious sexually. Paleo. Paleo plus. Keto Circumcised. This ketotic sexual sexually ravenous meat eater circumcised swept her off her feet (laughs) and this is why with high high amounts of testosterone this is why oscar is forever this is why he ran away to monastery to fucking like to what's that fucking thing that they do they like hold their ejaculate in and reabsorb yeah yeah Yeah. same just doing that by himself Fucking just getting an erection when he saw the fucking local goat walking down the street, <laughs> walking down the dirt road outside the monastery. Like, damn, that's nice. That's a nice goat. <laughs> I need it for my semen retention. <laughs> I can't eat it though because I'm a vegan. I'm a vegan, and vegans don't kegels, eat sexually attractive goats. He's doing kegels to hold in his urge to fuck the goat. <laughs> the next chapter, the damaged brain. This is, this is where the woo-woo comes out. So in the previous chapter, the racism and sexism ramped up. And in this chapter, the woo-woo just... There's just this is the exponential inflection point. This is where the woo-woo goes through the roof. Is this five? You're up to yeah. chapter five. Damaged brain. Oh, yeah, this is fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he goes nuts. We run into a problem. So, the, in pre human apes, the brain was about four times smaller than it is in, uh, in fully evolved Eurasian humans. Oh, fully, fully, uh, fully degenerate. Fully brain fully eaten, brain replete <laughs> humans. The brain is about four times larger <laughs> than in, in pre human hominids. However, we're about a thousand times smarter. I don't know where he gets this figure from or what units he's using to quantify us as being a thousand times more intelligent than apes, but look, we are. Yeah, he goes sulky. He's going sulky on this yeah. one. So Full how do you square this? The reason why you can have a brain only four times larger, but a thousand times, you be a thousand times more intelligent is because thoughts are purely immaterial. It couldn't possibly be that the brain has a different architecture. No, no, no. Its thoughts are immaterial. That's how it works. However, in enlarging the brain, the, he calls it the insulation system of the brain was damaged. When he says that, maybe he means myelinated axons, but I don't know. But anyway... The insulation got thinner and thinner, and in the part of the brain responsible for extrasensory perception, it got too thin, and that part short-circuited and stopped working. This is a part of the brain present and functional in every other animal, 
every other animal communicates via extrasensory perception, via thought transference, but not human. He's literally saying that all these other animals are fucking telepathic yeah. and communicate with one another telepathically because they have better brain insulation. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. I don't know what to say. Like, at what point did this did this fucking book jump the shark? I don't know. But the the shark has been molested. He just keeps escalating and murdered and thrown off the side of a of a of a, of a dirt track mm. in in a forest. The poor fucking shark's family has put out a, a news report saying we've lost our shark. Our shark baby is all over Channel Nine News. I've got it. And Oscar's Oscar's responsible. <laughs> I've got a fairly long quote here about about the loss of the ESP. So, since losing ESP, since then he has had no further insight into the immaterial world in which the origin, the purpose, and the meaning of existence are revealed. He has no longer known since that time that he lives in a boundless ocean, the substances of which, spirit, half spirit, half matter, or matter combine and work together in harmony and carry forward the meaning of the universe and of life as well. And he no longer knows that the perception of this eternal harmony engenders a feeling of joy, the savour of which in itself makes life already worth living. And he no longer knows that he, like all living creatures, is part of all these substances and that his true self is the most valuable substance, his spirit, which is eternal and indestructible just like matter and all other substances. In this chapter, he proposes a full-blown cosmogony and order of the universe. So basically, there are four substances of the cyclical universe. There is matter, half-matter, half-spirit, and spirit. And the universe begins each cycle being completely spirit. And some portion of that spirit degrades into half-spirit. Some portion of that half-spirit will degrade into half-matter. Some proportion of that half-matter will degrade into matter. Once there is a certain amount of matter in the universe, the spirit component of the universe will wipe everything away, convert everything back into spirit, and the cycle starts again. He doesn't explain how he came to this conclusion but he just knows and basically i think he's stealing this from um some probably fucking mashup with like taoism and whatever other stuff that he saw while he was over in china mm. <laughs> and basically and he's just mashing it in as far it. as i understand matter is what we as brain eating or post brain eating apes perceive it's all we perceive half matter connects neural impulses to half spirit and in half spirit our thoughts and memories reside half matter is this sort of bridge between those as far as i'm aware half spirit is also the prana that we breathe in and out it is the life force of everything i think and then spirit is the foundational substance of the universe I'm not sure if I'm correctly conveying this guy's... And at this point, do we need to explain... Oh, like, do we need to... I hope that everybody just realises that we're just going to... Jack and I 
completely disagree. <laughs> <laughs> and so we've already, we've probably covered a good chunk of like, oh, he doesn't understand evolution and stuff. Now we can just say the rest of the book from here on in is just fucking wacky. It, just, <laughs> it, it keeps escalating. Every time you think he's achieved peak wackiness, he'll bring in, oh, here are the four substances of the universe. <laughs> And how they enable uh, animal extrasensory perception. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, oh, fuck it. No. So in in life, life exists to bring together these four substances. These four substances are separate, except in life. The point of life is to have these four substances together in one being, in harmony. But because human beings ate brains and lost contact to the spiritual world, we no longer fulfill this purpose of life. And I think because initially I was having a really hard time working out what he meant when he said that our evolution was unnatural. I think what he means is that we decided to become more intelligent by eating brains rather than just abiding by the natural order. And we, in doing so, subverted the natural order. We lost contact to this immaterial world. I think that's what he means when he keeps talking about how human evolution well, it's almost like a, um, It's almost like an Evolian argument. Yeah. Of losing connection to um, the, the world of being. Yeah, because... But it's like slightly more... What, what he keeps saying is... Granular, there's four levels. The, at least within the context of his proposed physics... Us eating brains and becoming more intelligent doesn't violate physical laws. So I would have considered it to be natural. But that's the problem with the terms. Yeah, and I would have also considered that in the first place, it was an animal that ate, like, our our pre-human ancestors. They were not aware Mm. that what they were doing was a sin, nor were they aware that it would make them intelligent. They were just eating it because it made them horny. So how was it unnatural in the first place? Yeah, I'm not sure... I'm still not entirely sure what he means when he says it was unnatural. All I know is that unnatural equals bad in his telling. So it was bad evolution. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And he's, oh, he's got this stuff about prana, how the universe is filled with a cosmic energy, which is immaterial life energy, that all living creatures breathe in, absorbed through certain nerves situated in the nose in most animals. And, yeah, that's prana. Have you seen the breathing? Half spirit. Have you seen the breathing? You do the breathing. Yeah, I'd, nose. I do that some mornings. And then breathe out. Yeah. Yeah. Feels really nice. No, it's fine. Like it's, you can do it for like diving and stuff, uh, for the physical effects. But it's uh, when people say it's like moving the prana around. Mm-hmm. It's like no, you're breathing. <laughs> you're breathing in your nostrils. <laughs> yeah. And in most animals. Except, well, all animals except humans, their spirit, the, the spiritual component of that animal, can imbue this prana, this half spirit, with information and then broadcast it. And other animals attuned to the same, he, he seems to conceive of it like a radio transmitter and receiver. Other animals of the same species or of, of similar intelligence can receive you know, like these it's signals. like truckers. You know, the trucker radios, yeah. they're just like tuning in. Hey, this is Jack. I'm traveling up <laughs> Highway 55. It's a beautiful day out. Life is great. 
Yeah, just saw some cops. Everybody beware. Uh, also, there's uh, some predatory eagle vultures circling <laughs> the troop. Hey, everybody get back to the forest. <laughs> Run away from the prairie, little monkeys. <clears throat> that was a mashup of Jack being a trucker exactly. monkey yeah, that's it. in the prairies of Africa on the edge of the forest, <laughs> telepathically communicating to the rest of the monkey tribe. <laughs> yeah, and he says that... So our ability to receive, to send and receive these thoughts isn't completely gone. When we think bad thoughts, they embed in the subconscious of other people and make them feel worse. Yeah, this is more him just getting fucking cheated on isn't it <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I reckon I reckon <laughs> he does say though that human beings before about 50,000 years ago they were much more intelligent from eating brain but they hadn't short circuited the ESP part of their brain yet so these were godlike creatures and life exists on other planets That's and crazy. though the creatures on those other planets are hyper intelligent and psychically adept. And so we were communicating telepathically with those creatures that we thought of as gods. That's where our idea of God comes Incredible. from. From telepathically communicating incredible. with aliens. But then... Truly incredible. Yeah, then we just we, we <laughs> overshot it. We flew close, too close to the sun. We just had too many brains. <laughs> that was Icarus was was smashing was smashing, smashing ice, brains. Well, not smashing ice cream, sm- smashing brain brains. Sorry, I was just thinking about eating ice cream when we finish up this Zoom call. <laughs> oh, I'm so looking forward to eating. I haven't eaten for like mm, 67, yeah. 67. What you're on like hour sixty seven or something now? Yeah, day <laughs> I'm on hour zero, and I'm going to continue being on hour zero for another hour. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Icarus. Icarus loved brains. And is that what his explanation was about, like, Buddha and Jesus and stuff? We're talking yeah, basically. About, so he says in a few people, yeah. even today, Communicating or in with more the modern other times, you'll have some people whose ESP circuit is still working, and there'll be people like, yeah, Jesus, Buddha, Muhammad, Moses, who can perform what we think of as miracles, but what actually are very natural things that all animals can do except humans he actually is he fucking like why aren't there like chimps or like other animals just walking around curing leprosy <laughs> you know <laughs> what does this entire like fucking <laughs> little horny bonobo just goes over and uh you've got ravenous skin disease or you're blind the blind bonobos are curing each other oh you'll love this <laughs> i would like to see all of the new testament turned into like bonobos and chimps like an animated series <laughs> of jesus being a bonobo <laughs> he, um this In- passage is quite a long one but this just gives an impression of how fucking bizarre this book gets once you crack say the halfway point it's already bizarre in the first half, but then in the second half, it just leaves the planet. So he says, literally, like astral yeah. projects to another planet. The statement that the greatest speed is the speed of light is not correct. On the contrary, the greatest speed is that of immaterial thought rays. The speed is absolute. The time required to overcome any given distance is nil, and even matter is no barrier for it. Time is just as infinitely short as it is infinitely long. 
and the infinitely large is identical with the infinitely small, the sensations of time and space are sensory deceptions to which all living creatures are subject and which are different in the different <laughs> spheres of the universe. Every effect, even a seemingly chance one, has a cause. Every cause has an ultimately spiritual origin, because the origin of all things is spirit. Between cause and effect, no time exists, even if the effect is perceived by living creatures only after some time has elapsed, as they are subject to sensory deceptions. Two times two are four, even when no one undertakes to multiply them. For each cause, the outcome is already there. The spiritual impression of all results is located in the infinite cosmic sea of prana, to which I would like to add. That, Amazing. That means that <laughs> humans have always reached this point by eating brains because there is a spiritual cause for these things. So spiritually, we are, we are compelled to have eaten brains and reach this stage. Humans yeah. have reached this point for some deeper <laughs> spiritual purpose that I guess this guy is overlooked. As well as that, by the as well as that, because he seems to be saying the universe exists almost as this Parmenidean whole, this unchanging oneness. Human beings have always mm. eaten brains. Human beings will always like eat brains. Universe. Human beings are always eating brains. Human beings are always on the other side <laughs> of having eaten brains. So it's not unnatural <laughs> at all. It is an immutable part of this unitary universe. In this section, he has just undermined his entire 200-something page book. The, the dumbass, like, this Amazing. totally validates everything he said. If this is the case, then so cool. human beings had to eat brains. This had to happen because it is serving a spiritual purpose. And it's the most natural thing that could have ever happened. <laughs> he then was... he goes on to speak about time. And I noted this down because this was getting very evolved. Wait, wait, wait. Just, just, just before you get onto the time <laughs> stuff, I was just thinking, like, what's amazing about what he also just said about the, like, this is absolutely, like, it's instantaneous no matter the distance. Like, it's faster than the speed of light. It doesn't matter how far away. You realize that there's a... <laughs> There's uh, galaxies that, uh, because the universe is expanding and the speed of light, the limitation of the speed of light only applies to uh, like objects inside of the universe and your uh, like uh, the limitation of like anything with mass traveling faster and faster is that you need more and more energy to move the, far, move the, move the mass yeah. as it gets closer to to the speed of light, right? <laughs> so you sort of asymptotically need more energy. And the limitation on the speed of objects inside the universe does not apply to the universe itself. So the universe is expanding. And what that means is that there's galaxies that we can see now that are moving so fast that even though we can see them, we see their image from like, 10 billion years ago or something, but because they've been expanding away from us for like 10 billion years and we just see their image when they're only like a small distance away from us, the galaxies now is like so far away that any of the light generated by that galaxy as it is like quote unquote now will never actually hit the earth because, because well, will never hit the Milky Way because 
it's it the galaxy the the space between us and that galaxy is moving faster than the speed of light <laughs> it's the edge it's this uh, i don't know what the term is but it, it, there's like it's like the edge of the outer outer universe that that's observable um <laughs> what he's literally saying <laughs> is he's saying yeah but <laughs> Prana. <laughs> I, can, I can communicate with the aliens in the galaxy that is literally so far away and moving so quickly that light will never hit us. <laughs> he can communicate instantaneously with those with those with those uh with those animals on those other. It planets. also begs the question: How does he know this? If he too is presumably or was a human being, how did he learn of these things? What what happened in the monastery? What happened in the monastery? What, what happened, happened in his MGTOW what, what, man what, cave what in China? <laughs> what happened to his MGTOW mansion? On the, you know those uh, there's those those monasteries on like the set the side of fucking cliffs. Yeah, Have they you seen those? Sick. In like northern India and stuff. They're amazing. I imagine he's just that's his MGTOW mansion. <laughs> just him, some fucking like old Chinese fella with like, I imagine just a wispy Fu Manchu and a goat. <laughs> well, well, as we know, the tropical races can't grow much hair on their upper lips. <laughs> so it must. Now, what about. Uh... Yeah, sorry. No, <laughs> I was <laughs> just going to talk more shit. It's not going to make any sense. <laughs> he said, I'm going to look up where is uh, Sinsan Monastery. I want to know where this is. While you're doing that. <laughs> is this a tropical? I want to read a quote. Sasa. Where he, um, he, he talks about time in a way that really gave me some Evola Vietnam flashbacks. He says, imagine a wheel that turns on a perpendicular axis. The wheel rim stands for the material world, the spokes for the immaterial substance, prana, which joins the rim directly to the centre of all this, and the axle situated in the middle represents spirit. Each point on the moving rim needs time to complete a circle, according to human understanding. The spokes of the wheel, however, prana, stay in constant, direct, timeless connection with the axle, spirit. For the axle itself, there is no time, no movement, and no direction. For seen from the axle, the coming and going of any one point is the same, that is, motionless. And I'm assuming, because he talks about Indian philosophy or Hindu philosophy, I'm assuming, quite admiringly in many points in this book, and we know that Evola really liked that as well. So I'm assuming he just took this from some branch of Hindu philosophy. But I, I got strong, strong yeah. Evola world of being slash world of becoming vibes from that section. The annoying thing about these um, people who do this is that they don't really respect the distinction between <laughs> these different philosophical and religious traditions. They just kind of treat them like, oh, yeah, they're from like the East, quote unquote. Yeah, well, that's why, <laughs> the East. that's why I'm saying Hindu rather than Indian philosophy because, say, there are plenty of Muslims in India and I'm not sure they would there are plenty of subs- Sikhs subscribe to this particular of view of the world. And- so when he talks admiringly about Indian philosophy, I read that as Hindu philosophy within which, like, that is far from a monolithic whole uh, yeah, as well. I think that would well. be reasonable. It's Hindu. Yeah, man, Hinduism's sick, <laughs> dude. In Bali, they've got they've got uh, the monkey god. What's the monkey god? Rajesh? No, Rajesh. Or I don't tend to understand Hindu, it. 
Would you so monkey god? Uh, Hanuman. Oh, fuck, dude, Hanuman. Dude, the Hindus know how to build a goddamn statue. <laughs> <laughs> They've got these statues of Hanuman. And and because basically, like, Indonesia used to be, like, mostly Hindu and Buddhist, and now it's largely mostly Muslim. But Bali is, like, this one Hindu island in the archipelago. And it is covered in these amazing Hindu statues of, uh, like, Ganesh and Hanuman and elephants and stuff. And they're, like, they've got, like, some fucking massive blade, like a sword. <laughs> it's, like some, it's like some Yu-Gi-Oh shit, you know? <laughs> I get around it, man. I want to go to India and check it out. I hope they've got sick. Anyways, I keep going about Anyway, how about we leave awesome. behind the woo-woo chapter and get on to speech? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wait, that's not woo-woo as well. It is woo-woo, but it's less. It's slightly less woo-woo in the previous chapter. I, I think that no, chapter right. was I mean, peak woo-woo. Beach is intrinsically linked to his woo-woo ideas because so the damaged brain chapter four and speech are both like peak woo-woo. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll start off by saying the tongue is not an organ of speech, but a digestive organ. It feels the food, brings up the requisite amount of saliva from the salivary glands, and moves the food in the mouth. If the tongue were an organ of speech, then all animals would only have a tongue by some oversight, for no animal uses it to articulate sounds. So a few things here. Other animals do actually use their tongues to articulate sounds. It's not just humans. Organs can serve more than one function. No, they can't, Jack. As so, say the skin. The skin exists. <laughs> the skin can regulate temperature. The skin acts as a barrier between the internal and the external environment. The skin is also a sensory organ. Organs can serve more than one function. Evolution can also <laughs> adapt organs to different functions. So say in the case of human beings, yes, our tongues are extremely dexterous and are very, very adept organs of speech to a greater extent than they are in other animals. That doesn't lessen their digestive function. It's an addition. Do other animals have oral sex? I don't know. Because that's another thing that humans use our tongues mm. for. Exquisitely. Well. <laughs> 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 we've, we've, we've hijacked our um, highly articulate. Hey, do you reckon that there's any correlation between how articulate a person is or how many languages they can speak and how good they are at like giving head? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sure you could probably write, like, write, get an NHMRC grant to have a look at this. Do, or do you reckon there's like different languages have like different quality of fellatio? You know, like, there's some language maybe languages they're like real guttural. A better? Rolled <laughs> like, for, like a Spanish, mm. no, Spanish roll yeah. their ass or Italians roll their ass? Both of them do. Yeah, sexy. That's maybe that's why they're sexy languages because <laughs> it's this deep subconscious. We know that they give good head. <laughs> These are the here's enough. That's a things. we should so, submit so, that to like other animals do nature things as well. like masturbate and stuff like that. So maybe they do. Did you hear that? <laughs> I've the only other species that I I think I've ever seen. <laughs> Videos of them giving each other head as bonobos. Bonobos get down, but other than that, I've never, mm. I've never seen mm. animals giving each other head in all the animal videos I've watched. If any listeners know the answer to this question, this important question, <laughs> you let us know in the Discord. 
<laughs> yeah, come join the Discord when we discuss these important conversations. Anyway. This is really moving the needle forward on human using, knowledge. Using the tongue to speak is unnatural and bad and you shouldn't do it. And you only do it because your ancestors were all fucked up cannibals having cannibal sex on monkey brains. Mm. Mm. So, <laughs> this fucking book. So basically, the reason why we, we, we have speech is because every other animal communicates telepathically and they don't need speech. And mm. so dumbass human scientists, such you know, a, mem- a member of that group which ran away with Oscar's girlfriend spurring his MGTOW moment, <laughs> think that human speech represents a level of sophistication above that of other animals. No, they are communicating telepathically. They have no need for speech. It's only because we've ruined our brains by eating too many other brains that we can only communicate using language now. Otherwise, we would have died out. That's basically the origin of human speech. Yeah, can you imagine this guy, um, like talking to an actual like linguist or something? He's got this thing or about how evolution, um, evolutionary anthropologist. <laughs> he's got this good quote just about like, yeah, one one of many pieces of evidence that he adduces for why human speech is unnatural. He says that children can have a hard time with certain sounds. So, say in English, the th sound because. Children, I'm sure, have trouble with certain. A lot sounds. of English-speaking people have a lot of sound difficult with a lot of sounds because because children have trouble like with certain sounds. It means that sentences. languages are unnatural and you shouldn't use them. So he says, if speech was the result of natural development and not a recent makeshift solution to the problem of understanding one another, then all human races would have to be able to form all sounds with the tongue from childhood on, or at least to learn them at a later stage, to which I would say, they can. I say, say yeah, ethnically, can. a Han Chinese person who grows up in Australia will speak perfect English with an Australian accent. All races yeah. can learn the phonetic systems of all languages if they grow up in Do that language. Do you think language. he ever met anybody who was adopted into a different, it's, like... I mean, this is one of Country. those things that he says so passionately, <laughs> to which I would just respond, well, you're just, you're just describing something that exists. Like, if I, if I yeah. grew up in China and spoke Chinese, say Mandarin Chinese, from birth, then yeah, I could make those noises. Yeah, Peterson makes this interesting point, and I, I didn't fact check him on this, so I don't know if, if, if he is telling the truth, but... It was before he went totally like <laughs> fucking like religious revival <laughs> <laughs> superstar. <laughs> um, he says like uh, infants, new like infants, um, when they babble, they actually babble all the phonemes, and uh, speech development is actually a matter of pruning and refinement. So you actually lose phonemes. Oh, really? As you acquire languages, yeah. I'm not sure, and Jordan Peterson has been known to play a bit fast and loose with the truth in the past, but at least in the context of the beginning was the end, (laughs) human children can learn the phonetic systems of any language. They're remarkable at it. Maybe we should read Maps of Meaning sometime. Isn't it really long, though? Yeah. 
<laughs> and the thing is, if you say well, maybe we should read twelve it, we'll rules for life. <laughs> hey, Jack, do you want to read twelve rules for life for the podcast? I think that'd be funny. Yeah, whatever, <laughs> it's self help. Yeah, 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 sure. <laughs> Make your fucking bed, Jack. <laughs> I don't that every right. morning. I know something that you do do, Jack. Though what? that is in twelve rules for life. One of his rules is pet a cat when you see it on the street. I love cats. Yeah, I love cats so I much. saw a cat on the street yesterday. Gave it a pat. There's one just down the road just there. It's nice. Nice, friendly cat. Just sits in the sun. Yeah. But also, he talks about, like, lobsters and shit. <laughs> so it might be a good book for the podcast. <laughs> so this guy actually does say something true about language. He says, no matter how far languages develop, man will always gesticulate because even the most evolved language is inadequate to express the content of a thought or emotion precisely. So two things here. One of them <laughs> is totally wrong. One of them I agree with. So he says that the fact that humans communicate by gesticulation and facial expressions means that language is unnatural and dumb and bad, to which I would say we can communicate multimodally. <laughs> That that's the obvious answer. That <laughs> why can't you multimodally communicate? But his point that no language can entirely express a thought or emotion is true. I mean, language always fails you. Whenever you say you're happy, is every time you, you say you're happy exactly the same? No, there'll be gradations in how you feel. Each time you feel that emotion will be subtly different. It's just compressed when we want to communicate it in language, probably for the purposes of speed. I mean, there's a trade-off between how precisely you yeah, describe, also say, like your happiness and how quickly you can communicate that. So I'll give him... Something I always found interesting language. about language <clears throat> was that it's a compact linearization of, uh, I guess, what is what you could consider like a field yeah. or maybe, yeah, maybe like a field or... A high dimensional state space, yeah. <laughs> which is like your conscious experience, <laughs> and then you're doing this, uh, like one dimensional linear reduction. Yeah, <laughs> to communicate resolution. Like, of course, there's going to be a huge loss of information. Yeah, 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 and also the fact that we only have one, um, or not what, not what. Like, obviously, we have facial expressions and stuff, but we essentially have one. I suppose, high-density linguistic organ. Mm -hmm. Whereas, like, you could imagine that maybe on another planet there might be animals that have evolved multiple kind of mouth-like organs that can communicate maybe multidimensionally, linguistically multidimensionally, mm -hmm. which would be pretty interesting. Um, yeah, again, shout-out to H.P. Lovecraft. <laughs> <laughs> He's got this bit about how... Re how being literate is really bad and we should aim for few people to be literate in the world. He says... So, yeah, I think... Um, yeah. I think... Uh, no, no, go on, sorry. Oh. I'm just talking more shit. So he, he says that <laughs> the worst part of language, and particularly written language, is that it can be used to deceive people, particularly by scientists. He says, oh, God. it would be better for mankind... <laughs> If a small number of true thinkers directed events and not that large number of half-learned people who have become men of learning and leaders, not through thought, 
but through reading. I'm assuming, well, I know that he includes himself in that small number of true thinkers, naturally. Oh, of course he fucking does. <laughs> it's a, it's a common feature of every authoritarian. <laughs> Him and Klaus can eat the, that, eat the bugs. <laughs> that, of course, access to, to power should be limited, in this case, access to literacy. People love that idea. People love the idea of limiting rights when you're limiting the rights of people who don't agree with it's you. It's a re- recurring theme. It's like authoritarianism yeah, yeah, yeah. or dictatorship. People are all for it, overwhelmingly for it, when it's their guy in charge. It's only ever evil when it's the wrong yeah, person making it. Or, or if it's them. Or it's like everybody, young Marxist cunts. Yeah. <laughs> They're always thinking like in the back of their brain, like, yeah. If, if, I, were, if I were implementing communism, mm. it'd, be, it'd be done probably. They always love the idea of revolution <laughs> when it's them lining other people up against the wall. They just can't conceive of the idea that they might be the ones up against the wall. <laughs> I know, because I'm the I'm the true communist. Yeah. I'm I'm the true whatever. <laughs> I'm the center of my subjectivity, so of course I'm the main character in this. <laughs> and obviously, my point of view is objective. Mm. I agree with all <laughs> of, of my opinions. Guys. So Come on. naturally, I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody who I talk to who disagrees with me is a fucking moron. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> As judged by me. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I think we've oh, said everything God. there is to say about. Speech. Hey, it's getting pretty late here. Let's uh, let's get on to the we, origin of race. I'm, I'm probably going to get to the get to the point of if I'm not already there of just being just. Complete garbage for, for, the, for the conversation. She's getting delusional. Okay, how about... Tightness, the origin of races. How about I lay out how the human race really started, the origin of races, and then we can read out some quotes. Basically, what happened was the... <laughs> I'm going to share my screen for the viewers on <laughs> who are watching on YouTube. Shout out to YouTube. Shout out to all our comments on YouTube. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, those pictures are really good. <laughs> look at Levi's trying these. He just like look. They look like monkeys. He's got pictures. <laughs> so that he's he's lined up pictures look. of humans and pictures of monkeys <laughs> that look sort of like those humans. So fucking racist. <laughs> Just, just the epitome. Of it. I love this this monkey here. What is this species of monkey? I've never seen it. He looks like an old man. <laughs> looks like a little old man. He's got his little goatee. Clearly, clearly, it looks Look. like a white person. So that's that's the white monkey. A white, is it, is did they have? Did they used to have monkeys in Europe? I heard they used to have lions and stuff in Europe, and then the Romans. I don't or think so. I think um, the Romans imported the lions. But no. Fun. Okay. Well, there you go. I don't know. I don't know nothing about. Nothing. So basically, how All I know is that Hello. how how oh, humans sorry. evolved was um. you had an a monkey of the I think a male <laughs> monkey of the African type of monkey and a female monkey of the Asian type <laughs> of monkey, and both these monkeys were special. They were able to race mix. <laughs> So racist. They could so they could have sex with each other and form viable young, and that's how human beings arose. But where were the Australasian monkeys? There were no monkeys in Australia. Well, it's it, yeah, <laughs> we'll get to that. So I quote 
So the first human... They some Australoids. Yeah. So these two monkeys had sex <laughs> and their offspring was this special monkey that could race mix with any other type of monkey. Um, and... <laughs> So this this special monkey was rejected by all other monkeys because it was it was a freak. It was the 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 progeny of race (laughs) race mixing. And so it was a solitary and lonely monkey. And I'll read a, so funny. I'll read a so quote funny. about what happened to the, the, the monkey with the superpower of being able to race mix. Uh, <laughs> Nevertheless, this solitary creature did later take a mate, but he managed to do so only after a bloody struggle from which he emerged as victor. That. Dead victim was a male ape defending his group and his females and trying to drive away the intruder. The victor, who obtained a mate for the first time by means of murdering a member of the breed from which he was descended, was unable to escape with the mate he had stolen because they were surrounded and threatened by the injured group. This selfsame victor had to appease his tormenting hunger by eating his dead victim. Both he and his mate noticed for the first time that eating brain arouses one sexually to a substantially greater extent, what is more, than eating certain plants consumed by apes for this purpose since time immemorial. It was not until later that they noticed that this drug exercised a lasting effect on their ability to think. They thought better. This was the first human couple, the first cannibals. So... You have the African and Asian monkey who race mix. They were special monkeys who could give birth to a child of race mixing. This, <laughs> this first human was a, <laughs> was a freak that other monkeys didn't like. So they killed a male monkey of another race, ate its brain, got really horny, raped a member of that other race, that female gave birth to race mixed monkey children who then went on to do the same and so you know how scientists say that that humans migrated out of africa well that didn't happen what happened was the, these progeny of race mixing monkey brain eating cannibals spread out and found members of other monkey groups and killed the men, ate their brains, and raped the women. And these women gave birth to more humans because humans are the, the mixed-race monkey brain eaters, monkey brain eating children. And they spread out, and that process just kept happening until humans covered the earth. The problem with this theory, the only problem with this theory because otherwise it's a watertight theory, is that it implies that the entire Earth was covered with monkeys. So say in Australia, (laughs) where there's no evidence that monkeys existed, for this theory to work, for humans to have existed in Australia, then Australia would have had to have been covered by monkeys for these humans to rape, (laughs) to give birth to. 
<laughs> to, to, to Aboriginal, to people. Aboriginal <laughs> people who will then go on to find more monkeys to rape. And that's how humans spread. what about spread. Polynesia? What about all of the Polynesian islands and stuff? Like what about the entire part of the, like the majority of the Earth's surface where there weren't monkeys? <laughs> what about the Sami? Level? Were there little, you know, the, the Sami up in the, like, the indigenous yeah. people of like um, Scandinavia? Yeah. Like the little ice monkeys running around there. <laughs> or like, does he account for just like human migration? No, no. no. He says that, like, each race came from a progenitor species of monkeys. Because he's like, oh, well, there's too much variety <laughs> between human races for humans to have come from one race of apes. No, no. <laughs> that variety, oh, so that variety can't come from human beings dumb. evolving in a certain environmental niche. Like, say, people who live, <laughs> changing. People who live further north in Europe having lighter skin because they need to absorb more sunlight for vitamin D production. No. That couldn't possibly have evolved. It's because their ancestors raped a different group of monkeys to race mix and produce them. And he does have this bit, though. The one types of monkeys that did migrate were, were, were the cannibal offspring of certain monkeys who rejected that cannibal lifestyle and so fled. Some of these fled to the Himalayas. And they still live there, and those are yetis. Some of them fled to North America, um, where they became Sasquatches. Hairy men who are still, who still have, That's who still have ESPs. <laughs> you fucking love it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I will actually give him partial marks for this quote on the subject of race realization of the following fact is of importance the color of the skin has absolutely nothing to do with the level of intelligence which race is more intelligent depends only on when their ape ancestors it has everything to do with your cranial capacity human beings (laughs) and how often they practiced cannibalism (laughs) the fact (laughs) So the first part of that, I'll give him credit for. Skin colour and intelligence are not correlated. So I give so that generous, a thumbs Jack. up. But then, then he basically says, oh, You're but a saint. darker skin colour means that they didn't eat brains for as long. So I'll give him partial marks for that. This is, like, this shows how we're scraping the bottom of the barrel where we look at that quote and go, okay, he's being relatively sensible here. Yeah. You're being extremely generous. <laughs> I, I get, I think this, this illustrates how mad, how, well, the experience of reading that, this book, when, as I'm reading through, when I read the sentence and he says, the color of the skin has absolutely nothing to do with the level of intelligence. I think, wow, fuck this guy is, this guy's really speaking some truth now. And then I realized, no, he's actually just doing the bare minimum to be a, like, a reasonable human being. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so he's got this quote. Uh, the various human races came into being earlier or later and will also disappear in accordance with their date of birth, for whatever reason. Um, when the early developing races have long since annihilated themselves by means of their delusion-ridden intelligence, the later developing races, I assume it means... What do you call it? Australoids? 
Australioids. He calls them Australioids. Um, later developing races still have a long time to live, provided they have not been exterminated by the early developing races. What sense is there then in boasting about one's age if this is the same time the announcement of one's earlier death? Yeah. It gets into some weird, like cosmological predictions or prophecies surely those races that already today are unable to feed their young on their own breasts will not exist longer it will be those still well able to do so nor does the future belong to those who are able to sleep digest and laugh only with the help of pills or who have or who have to wait for someone on the next street corner to be run over or beaten up by some criminal in order to have this heart transplanted into themselves Mm. Why, therefore, be ashamed if one belongs to a so-called underdeveloped race, <laughs> which has not yet unlearnt how to laugh and sing? It's kind of like a weird, like he's trying to like be like progressive and be like, you know, mm. it's like it's not bad to be from. He does also say race. though that the cure for racism <laughs> is for all races to live apart. That's the, that's the only yeah, yeah. way. <laughs> because. Because that's how chimps and shit, they have segregation. So he says, uh, peace reigns among apes as a matter of course, as it does amongst all other animals. And the racial hatred and persecution because of cultural differences are unknown to them. Such phenomena are found only in the realm of homo sapiens who took it upon themselves to approve everything on earth. Why is this so? (laughs) So it's like, we tried to get better by like eating brains or something. And that made us racist. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Can you be bothered going through the section on Genesis? He has an entire chapter on Genesis in the Bible. Uh, no, I didn't even really like understand what he was talking about. He basically let's give a high yeah, high, high level. level. He basically says, "Oh, the the story of humanity being cast out from the Garden of Eden is actually ancestral knowledge describing eating brains," and he's. He flicks between, depending on what is most convenient, saying, oh, theologians are so fucking stupid because they keep looking for metaphors and something that is obviously to be taken literally. And then sometimes he will draw a really long bow in looking for an analogy describing eating brains in the Garden of Eden story and say, look, these theologians are fucking idiots. They can't pick up on these simple, simple metaphors. So... I would say his biblical exegesis is somewhat lacking. <laughs> so he also complains that all other interpretations of Genesis are totally arbitrary and only his is based on fact. But basically, Science. like you can, yeah, you can yeah. kind of work out what he means. So what is, what is the apple? What is the fruit of the tree of knowledge? Well, it's a human brain. The snake tempting... Kind of like, he says something about like nudism. Yeah, the snake, the snake tempting Eve. Naked. He says that snakes are symbols of sexuality which is why we, we subconsciously associate sex, knowledge, and original sin. He also big says that, so Adam come comes in, alive come when God breathes the breath of life into his nostrils. He said, well, clearly this is half spirit, prana, the cosmic energy. He just says that Adam and Eve have fur coats. Mm. I don't know if that's anywhere in the Bible, but he just says they have fur coats, which represents the... No, that's a metaphor. Ah. Uh, some metaphor that I can't be fucked remembering. I didn't write it down. At this point, <laughs> my notes are pretty spare. I was so fucking sick of this book. <laughs> Fuck you, Jack. It's a metaphor. <laughs> Study English literature. Got, hey, man. He's got this thing about how... So God made Eve from one of Adam's ribs. And he says, this is a point where he goes, 
oh, this is clearly metaphorical. You know, all these dumbasses are thinking of it literally, having you know, only in a previous paragraph said, oh, these people are looking for metaphors, they're dumbasses, this is clearly literal. So he said that <laughs> the, the male ape, the African ape, who raped the Asian ape, the African ape had 13 ribs and the, the Asian ape had 12. But the offspring, the male offspring, also had 12 ribs. So obviously when God made Eve out of one of Adam's ribs, what, he re- what, what the authors of this story really meant to say was that a 13, a, a, an African ape with 13 pairs of ribs had sex with an Asian ape with 12 pairs of ribs and their offspring had 12 pairs of ribs. But I, don't, I don't know how people didn't see this before. Clearly we didn't need enough brains. If we're this Clear stupid that we couldn't day, see mate. the truth staring us in the face about... <laughs> I think Genesis he story. wrote this right after eating some chimp brain or exactly. something. Hey? And he had a clear vision. So Adam and Eve, having eaten the, the fruit of knowledge, hid from God because they were naked. And he says this is clearly an allusion to the fact that they lost their fur coats. God clothed them with animal skins before casting them out of the garden, which means that before human beings or apes were vegetarian, but now they eat meat, which is a bad thing. Sure. <laughs> and in casting them out of the garden, God curses Adam and Eve in numerous ways, you know, that they'll, they will die. He, he says that the snake will crawl on the earth and bruise her heel, so bruise Eve's heel. What does this mean? Well, this means females, so the females of the species, are now cursed to live with sexual desire. The females. I'm going to cut up... Uh... Terence McKenna's voicing females. Females. <laughs> if I can find him saying it. Females. So he says, This sexual desire for men is the snake which can bruise woman's heel at any time. She, she displays no sex signs and gets an inordinate amount of pleasure from sex. Too much pleasure from sex that he says is entirely unnatural and it's not okay. He says the reason why... The, so why a tree of knowledge with a fruit of knowledge? Well, he says, because these stories were initially written in pictograms and not in alphabets, I quote, only a person who has ever tried to decipher an old picture script knows how difficult it is to distinguish between the hieroglyph for a tree and that for a man. So basically what happened is, originally in pictographic script, it was a human being and their brain was the, the thing that was eaten to grant Adam and Eve knowledge. However, <laughs> we're dumbasses and we misread the script and we misread a man and a brain for a tree and a fruit. Obviously. <laughs> he then goes on to say, in an echo of Terence McKenna, Genesis, correctly interpreted, is the only incontrovertible description of man's origin. <laughs> Correctly interpreted. <laughs> I meant to say with those pictures of the apes next to the people of different races, <laughs> the pictorial evidence incontrovertible. is incontrovertible. The pictorial, the theological evidence is oh, incontrovertible. Man. <laughs> man. <laughs> yeah. Exogenic? Is that what yeah. it's called? Ex- 
exegen- exegesis, yeah. exegenic. Do you have anything to add to that? The exegenic. cannibalistic exegesis. I fucking hate this book. I want to finish this and yep. I'm tired. Last chapter. I, I hate. <laughs> I'm sorry. This it's book like so it's much. like 10 p.m. over here, man. I'm I'm hitting a wall super hard. Yeah. <laughs> no, I haven't eaten for three days, and I'm my brain's not working. You're looking great, mate. You look. You are looking like you've just. Uh, I know you've fasted for a few days, but you look like you've just eaten about three kilos of primate Brain. brains, mate. You're glowing. I can, even though, even though on my end of the screen you're incredibly pixelated, I can still tell that your skin is glowing, glowing. with vitality. That's how I'm going to break my fast. Very yeah, looking. You. You're, you're looking. You're looking five years younger. Hey, everybody. You don't know what day we're filming this <laughs> or when we're releasing this who knows who the fuck knows but recently it was jack's birthday so shout out to jack <laughs> happy birthday <laughs> yeah I turned 30. everybody get in the fucking discord and celebrate jack's birthday you fucking cunts <laughs> i don't know i don't know i'm abusing the listeners now it's just because i'm overtired I'm yes but happy so birthday to jack <laughs> last chapter chapter nine the immediate future let's finish this i hate this book no one should read it the immediate future is we're all yeah, fucked. We're he doesn't like he doesn't like modern civilization. Uh, he says something about like uh, what is it like we can? Our, he says some shit about like when you're born, you have the memory of your previous life, but it only goes seventy years into the future or something. It's something like. The youth of today are rebelling against the world because in the womb you still have ESP and That's I right. don't know. That just meant, like for some reason only now the youth have decided that they don't like the world. What has been perceived before birth sinks down into the subconscious and influences man's thinking and actions throughout his life. What else does he do? He complains <laughs> he about said. the United so States like of America. ESP. We need to embrace Eastern philosophy. I don't know what the fuck that means because that encompasses many different cultures and thousands of years of like history. three billion people. <laughs> <laughs> so full, full so many different ethnic groups. <laughs> it's the East. <laughs> your average guy living in New Delhi and your average guy living in Beijing are exactly the same. <laughs> no difference. No different outlook on life. All East. They're just the East. They're just, just, the just East. East. The East. The East of like kind of Paris. Doesn't matter that say Melbourne, <laughs> Australia is of a very similar latitude to, I don't know, parts of Japan. Fuck the, the, the same, the same, all the same. And it's inhabited primarily by Australioids <laughs> and colonizing Indo-Europeans. <laughs> no, it's a multicultural country. We've got all sorts of uh, all sorts of levels of Australopithecus descendant. Also, all sorts of descendants of cannibals from all different ape origins, from all the different monkeys extant and extinct from across the face of the planet. Little ice monkeys turning into Samis and little desert monkeys turning into blackfellas in the middle of Australia. Um, look, he says, okay, the, he, here's something I can praise him for. Humans must resist, or the youth of today, in his turn of phrase, must resist the modern world, but they have to do it passively and renounce violence. Good, okay, don't be too violent. There's something. That's pretty much the end of the book. The book ends really <laughs> That's suddenly. such a stretch. The book ends with him promising That's that such he's going to write a lot more books on this subject, and he didn't write many more books, so that's also... Something I'll give him. 
when I looked into it, he didn't actually write any more books. The th- one thing that he released was actually a, a, a transcript of a speech. Okay. Well, that's a, that's a plus. I'll give him that. Good on him for not writing any more. Yeah, I mean, I might be mistaken, but that's what I found. Um, okay, so that's the book. Let's do some exiting thoughts. Exiting thoughts. I hated this fucking book yeah. so much. Quite <laughs> frequently, I don't enjoy the readings that we do for this podcast, but this was particularly this bad. Was, this was bad, hey. This was, I fucking this hated was so, it. I hated it so much. So bad. I really hate this. I, I can't, I chose this book half as like a bit, it was a bit of Schadenfreude. <laughs> but of course, if, like every time I make Jack suffer, <laughs> I suffer as well. <laughs> it's, com- it's completely self-destructive behavior. <laughs> so, our rating system started out as, oh, what would you give it out of 10? It started out much more. Our rating system like, oh, is completely. What would you give it out of ten? How serious do you think this person was? Blah blah blah. Now my rating system is basically: would I recommend it to anyone or not? I wouldn't recommend this book to anyone. This book fucking sucks. I think this is this book is worth printing and then burning. <laughs> I normally, I'm normally against book burning, <laughs> but in this case, I think you can burn this book. I, I would recommend. Anything else on this podcast to read than this? Because this book, there's almost in that it's this combination of being boring and profoundly irritating at the same time. (laughs) It's so just his writing style is so arrogant. It's arrogant. It's moronic. It's stupid. It's condescending. It's stupefying. It's racist. It's chauvinistic. It's, it's it, and it's got so much it's, woo-woo. And it's woo-woo. Oh, and it's, it's got woo-woo. everything. <laughs> of course it's, it's The only thing it doesn't well. have is I've some like short tolerance for I'm like self-help guru, multi-level marketing pitch halfway through. He didn't have that. So it can get Man, worse. Dude, MLMs make so much money. We should we start should an MLM. That. Help us turn book club from hell into an MLM. Look, what we'll do is if you get somebody to join the Discord uh, and they get somebody to join the Discord and it costs $10 to join the Discord, you'll get $5 of that $10 when they join the Discord and you'll get $2 of the person that they asked to join. The Discord. In reality, you'll get nothing, but we might, we might give you a shout out. In reality, you'll get nothing because it doesn't cost fuck all to join the Discord because this, this, this fucking podcast doesn't have enough viewers, nor is there any reason to charge people to join the Discord. Gatekeep the two people in our Discord. The two, the two people in my girlfriend. Yeah, no, join the Discord. It's not an MLM. Not an MLM. That's our sales pitch for not the Discord. MLM. It's not an not MLM. Not a CIA psyop. <laughs> not a pyramid scheme. Yeah, there's no Floyd May where they're trying to like scam you out of your crypto. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Jack is Floyd Mayweather. <laughs> um, <laughs> money, money, wait. Jack, money. Um, so, so uh, what did I think of this book? I thought it was fucking garbage and I wouldn't recommend it to anybody. It's not even one of those things that I would recommend on the like, haha, this is like kind of fucking weird. You know, like I, I could recommend Robert Anton Wilson to some to the right person if they're just like kind of like 
into weird shit, you know, if they're just kind of into weird, weird stuff. I was like, yeah, sure. It's kind of strange book, interesting ideas, kind of dumb. Um, but this, I couldn't recommend this to anybody. The amount of shit you have to wade through for the wackiness, there's just too much. No, no, no. Um, Having said that, I've chosen the last two books, I believe. So, Jack, if you would like to, you can select the next book if you're particularly inclined. Mm. Um, and... Uh, so you don't have to choose now, but if uh, if you so I have Argon, I sent that to you. So you chose Gothic Violence. Yeah. Uh, then I did I of Argon, and the beginning of Infinity. Uh, not the beginning. The beginning was the end. Uh, so yeah, if you want to, if you've got any in mind, let me know. But or listeners, of course. Yeah, hey, listeners. Uh, now that we're at the end of the episode, I want to just quickly obviously keep on pimping the discord we've got other socials but they haven't really stuck as much but we're actually like people are starting to join the discord which is kind of cool by people i mean like three people but still three is three is better than zero yeah <laughs> uh and uh and uh it's really cool because what we what we have been finding is that a couple of people have joined are like really interesting people <laughs> and really funny and fun to chat with. Um, and they've been giving us uh, interesting recommendations um, with books that we could uh, include on the uh, book club. So I guess uh, we'll just give another shout out to Hylik and to Trent and uh, to Keon, who literally just joined. And uh, one other shout out to, an, we've got a lovely email from another listener Isaac, who sent us just a very encouraging email, said he, he found the BAP episode and he thought it was very funny and gave us a recommendation. So, hey, everybody, we are, even if we're not the most responsive because Jack and I are just fucking people, <laughs> <laughs> like we, we look at your stuff that you send us and uh, even on uh, YouTube, we look at your comments and stuff. And uh, if we don't reply straight away, it's because we're unorganized. But we read them and we really appreciate it. Um, so shout out to all the people who are getting getting around us. Thank yeah, you so thanks. much. <laughs> it, uh, it, it's a nice feeling, not feeling like you're screaming into the void. It's really cool seeing that some people actually listen to this. It is really nice, hey, isn't it? What have you felt from uh, the, the user, or not user, but like uh, audience engagement? Really encouraging. It's really nice that someone takes the time to write and say that they like it. I don't have anything more. For yeah, to say and we're just doing it. It's just nice. No, it's 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 really nice. It's really encouraging, uh, and we're just doing this because, uh, like, we obviously enjoy talking to each other, and we enjoy some of the similar same things, like uh, exploring these weird stuff. And uh, we didn't know if there would be anybody out there in the world that would be interested in this kind of weird stuff as well. But we thought maybe there would be, <laughs> and it's cool to see that. Yeah, there are <laughs> some other strange people out there. <laughs> so thanks so much for listening. <laughs>